It's time to turn out the lights, grab some popcorn, and watch some horrible horror movies. This is the Terrible Terror Podcast. Each episode, I delve into the world of terrible horror movies. Why do we do it? I can't really explain it, but I love these horrible movies. If you've made a horror movie on your phone, or made your own special effects MacGyver style, please, send it my way. Now, what do you get when you take a man, known mostly for his horror groove metal, and let him retell a classic horror story? Why you get Rob Zombie's Halloween Film Collection. Hey everyone, and welcome to the Terrible Terror Podcast, where I'm so crazy that I can't believe that I'm actually doing this. And I'm going to start this podcast directly off with the quote from the beginning of the movie, which is, The darkest souls are not those which chose to exist within the hell of the abyss, but those which chose to break free from the abyss and move silently among us. Dr. Samuel Loomis... Okay, this is already fucking bullshit. Why are you quoting a fucking character in your fucking film? Or are you going back and you're quoting a character from the original Halloween? Which is it, Rob? Which is it? If you don't know already and you can't tell by the description, uh, I'm talking about both Halloween movies. And now, you may say to yourself, Terrible Terror, why are you doing this? Um, One, I'm a masochist, okay? Uh, I feel like I should torture myself this much. And two... Really, there was an overarching story, and the second one, honestly, and we will get into this so much more in that second film after we talk about Halloween, but it's supposed to be a continuation, and they're both supposed to be uh, two stories put together, right? So there's some continuity, and it really, in the second one, does take place almost directly after this one finishes. In fact, it's moments after that the first one finishes up. So I thought to myself, hey, uh, you know, I could just do Halloween 2. Honestly, out of these two, I could do it. And perfectly honest, I there's things about Halloween that bug me. But overall, you know, you're going to find out that I actually like some of the stuff that's done in it. Halloween 2, and again, I avoided it like the plague. Because I've been recommended by many people to just not see it and somebody that's very close to me told me this is the first film that he basically wanted to walk out of or did walk i can't quite remember and i'm pretty sure he'll post a comment or something uh after he listens to this but he it was just so horrible with the second one that he's like just don't watch it just don't watch it now and then all of a sudden this came around it was all right, maybe you should do it for the podcast. And I'm like, fuck, now you're telling me to watch this film that I kind of didn't want to watch. Uh, why not? And then I thought to myself, I got to do Halloween as well. Like, there's a lot of history behind it. And I know that there's been a spat between John Carpenter and Rob Zombie. And supposedly it's all quashed. Everything's okay. But really, when you look at Halloween, it's just a... It's a retelling. It's not necessarily a reimagining. 
All it does is it adds maybe an extra 40 minutes of bullshit uh, that actually has some interesting things in it uh, that it just could have been cut shorter. And I'm going to say it right here. You could have cut Sherry Moon Zombie out of this fucking movie. I know Rob. You love her. I know she's hot. Uh, she's become a scream queen because of you. I don't know if she's really acted in any other movies besides your movies. Uh, and if anybody out there can point to me to a non Rob Zombie movie where she is the lead and maybe not just a guest star somewhere in there, uh, please let me know because I would like to see that and like to see how it pans out. But there's really no reason, even when the credits roll with both films, for her to be so high in the credits she really should be like number seven she's not the main focus of the mill film right isn't it supposed to be laurie stroud but no she and sherry moon zombie who, who plays if you didn't know michael myers's mom um they split the film basically 50 50 the first half is mostly just the mom and then the second half you get fucking laurie stroud uh, or as Angel as she is also known as. So I'm getting way too into this too quickly. And I could just do a very simple, uh, you know, let's just talk about the two films very quickly and let's get it over. But I appreciate my listeners way too much. Uh, and I have to give it the same treatment that I've given every other <laughs> thing I've ever talked about on this podcast. So you guys are in for a treat. You guys are in for... Uh, a very lengthy podcast that will be split into two. There is a small intermission in between the two. It's not very big. Uh, I didn't. We're not running any type of weird plugs, ads, anything like that, uh, because this is mostly my thinking and part of a poll that we ran. Uh, also, well, you know, both on Twitter and on Facebook, uh, as well as personal recommendations from the people around me. Uh, so. Without further ado, let us talk about Halloween. And this, uh, and like I said, after it's done, there will be a small break, and then we'll go right into Halloween too. So I would say, you know, search. I, I could give you a time frame, but uh, I'm afraid that that <laughs> might not be accurate. So, uh, but the thing is, also with this, with both, there are going to be longer clips. Because the way the movies work, uh, it's kind of like Return of the Living Dead, if you listen to the very last episode before this one was released, where there are scenes of action, or in this case, of violence, uh, and then they try to he tries to jam a lot of his stupid dialogue into the other scenes. So you end up getting these scenes that have a lot of stuff into it that I could cut it up into... 30 different fucking clips or i could just play you the longer clip so for the most part there are some longer clips in this uh compared to other episodes but i hope that kind of adds to the whole mystery of rob zombies halloween so we open up on the film on michael myers playing with a rat and well the house first if you really want to be technical but when we first see michael he's playing with a rat and you know he's probably gonna kill it i mean it's pretty obvious if you think about it and if you know the whole story of michael myers and you know everything that has to do with halloween and, and i'm gonna apologize myself here i'm not really going to try to make any connections with the original and with the new version we're just gonna focus 
on this only. I know that the original exists. You can talk about it. You know, it was one of the innovators of this genre of movie, the slasher. Uh, and it's fantastic. It's a, the biggest thing that you can say between the two, at least with this version and the second, because Halloween 2, again, goes off the rails, and I'm sorry, I'm going off the rails here, but uh, the biggest thing you can say is that the whole, basically, hour of this movie does not exist in the original. So there's nothing really to compare other than just to say that it takes a long time to get to the beginning of <laughs> the original Halloween if we're doing uh, almost a shot-for-shot remake. Not really a shot-for-shot, but at least a storyline remake, uh, which Rob is pretty much doing in this with a couple of extra things. And this is one of the biggest changes and probably one of the biggest criticisms of this Halloween, besides a couple other things. Uh, but for me, this does this part doesn't bother me, other than it makes the film longer than it needs to be. It really should have been within that 90-minute running time, and instead this bloats it to and two hours of Rob Zombie fun. But again, I, I'm going to digress here, and let's go back into the film. So... Uh, if you guys want to start a conversation, please hit me up, but we'll move on from here. So, we're already kind of creeped out by Michael because of the way that he's talking to Elvis's rat. And the kid that got to play young Michael Myers is absolutely perfect. Uh, that is the best casting choice in this movie if we wanted to try to give you a creep-out factor with that young kid already you know you see him they see the way he's playing the way he does the mask his low use of breath when he talks uh it's just so good and it is really kind of scary natural if you want to think about it because i really don't think that he maybe he's not the best actor in the world because well he's a kid i'm not saying all kid actors suck but majority kind of do but the kids in this movie actually are one of the better parts of the film the one and some of the better actors in the film uh and we'll talk about the other two kids later on i'm not talking about the quote-unquote teenagers who happen to be you know of age because of things that happen in this movie uh but i'm talking about actual child actors and it kind of sucks that you know maybe this is the role and I don't know if I'd ever want to be in another movie again if I have to pretend to do the things that he does. Uh, or if I'd, you know, if I was his parents, if I would be like, oh yeah, really, you gotta actually think about that. I know I'm going on another tangent, but like, who's the parents that's like, yeah, I want my kid to play a fucking serial killer? And maybe they thought in the beginning, oh, maybe he's just gonna do, do a couple of things, but the shit that he does in this film up until a point, it's like, Really, I don't know if I'd let my kid even try out for the part unless he was kind of fucked up. So there he is. He's with his clown mask and his kiss t-shirt. And uh, we cut away from him after he's petting Elvis. Probably a little too hard. And we get to meet uh, his fucked up family. Jesus Christ, Ronnie. You know I have to fucking work tonight. Somebody around here has got to make some money. I'm all broken up here, bitch. I can't work. Yeah, and whose fault is that? Fuck you. Oh my God, you're pathetic. You know that new waitress over at the bingo lounge? She can give me the freaky eye. Oh, the whore with the big tits hanging down to her knees? 
Maybe I'll choke the chicken, purge my snorkel all over them flappy-ass tits. Good. We'll have a good fucking time. I will. I hope she likes cripples. Bitch, I will crawl over there and I will skull-fuck the shit out of you. Oh, I'll get the crutches for you. So as you can see, this is a very, very family-friendly environment. I mean, they love each other very much. Uh, there seems to be a lot of glow in the air. And again, annoying fucking Sherry Moon zombie. I mean, yes, she is She is pretty cute. She's a decent scream queen. I just get fucking annoyed with her. I mean, the best person to... And I, I know I'm going to get shit for this for, by some people. But the best thing to uh, compare her to is Jennifer Tilly, right? They both have voices that can kind of drain on you but i can stand jennifer tilly and the stuff that she does but sherry sometimes she just does things and she acts like maybe she is the perfect role for this movie a person perfect person for this role i cannot speak today and i am terribly sorry with you guys but b movie reviews ding uh (laughs) but honestly she's the perfect perfect person for this film jesus christ because the mom acts like she doesn't give a shit and Sherry Moon acts like she doesn't give a shit about acting. It's perfect. It's like Keanu Reeves in The Matrix. You need somebody that's complete and utter like vapid guy and then you have Keanu Reeves take over that role. And she's like, I love you, honey. It's annoying. Well, the daughter comes downstairs. There's some other dialogue. Again, Rob Zombie dialogue. What is with you? Sometimes you have these great, fantastic fucking monologues. And The Devil's Rejects is a good example of that. Where you talk and you, your characters talk. And they say some amazing things. But it's a little bit of a mouthful. And then you have other characters where they just spout bullshit. Like fucking... Big chunks of fucking shit just come right out of their mouth. And it's not just like... Sometimes it's not really cohesive. And it's like shocking to be shocking in the way they're talking. Like even look at them. I will skull fuck you, bitch. Like, do you really need to... Yeah, okay. Fucked up family. You don't have to go that far with it. But you try to add this emphasis to this family. And the other thing goes on is that this boyfriend stepdad whoever it is gets like creepo with her other oldest daughter that comes downstairs of course is like scantily clad and wearing a tube top where her boobs are obviously not in a bra and uh could pop out at any moment and you're kind of hoping that's going to happen in this scene but it doesn't and so you have to look at the creepo dad and be like man you are disgusting because you are somehow, you know, at least involved with the mom. And in front of the mom, you're talking about how much of a sweet ass this daughter has. And it's just, it's those scenes like that that kill me about him. And then you'll have a super smart scene later on in the film. I understand this is set up, but it's just, uh, it's annoying, to be honest with you. And, you know, let's just move on. So, the... Uh, mom asks, uh, you know, the daughter to go ahead and get Michael because they're going to get ready to go to school. And of course, he has a little tantrum. And, uh, you know, I don't want to say daddy out here, but, uh, you know, let's call him boyfriend, uh, has an opinion on what exactly Michael is. Let me tell you something, that freak of yours, he needs some serious discipline. I mean, he runs around like a little bitch. You, know, you leave him alone. Keep your hands off him. Give me a fucking break. He's probably a queer. 
He's gonna grow up, end up cutting his dick and balls off and changing his name to Michelle. There he is. Good morning, Michelle, my belle. What the hell took you two so long? I was died. I had to flush him. Oh, honey, I'm sorry. We'll get you a new one after school, okay? Okay. So, Michael is kind of a mama's boy? Is that what I'm really getting? Like, there seems to be this weird relationship between the two of them. And I'm pretty sure we're going to talk about some type of Oedipal complex later on this film where, you know, he's kind of attached to his mom because that's kind of what they talk about, you know, when a boy first grows up, you know, that's his first kind of sexual want or some there's gonna be some stupid bullshit like that in there but really you kind of go a little longer than the seams and it seems like everybody in this family just constantly shits on each other you know the mom shits on the well mom shits on the boyfriend boyfriend shits on the mom and the daughter on the you know son and on the baby for fucking crying boo over there and you know it's weird because there's that heartwarming little scene where Michael lifts up his mask and he goes over to Boo, the daughter, uh, and gives her a nice little kiss before they leave. And it's kind of like, well, at least he loves his little sister. Um, so it's just kind of a weird family dynamic that we could have made maybe a little less, I don't want to say a little less crude, but that's kind of where I want to go with this. Uh, but made the dialogue, you know, it could be harsh, but it doesn't have to be like this. And, again, we're going to run into this problem throughout this fucking film. So now we're at the school, and poor Michael is using the restroom. And, of course, the bullies show up, and they harass him in the bathroom. And it's one of those scenes where you're like, okay, so that's where he kind of starts his thing. He gets bullied a lot of school, and that's going to turn him into a killer. Uh, the principal interrupts and takes Michael out of the bathroom first. Uh, it's kind of a weird situation because Michael starts yelling at him, basically tell him to fuck off. And it's weird because he seems really timid in these moments. Like even in the house, like he seems like he's kind of keeping to himself and he's a little more deadpan than everybody else. Everybody else is so active and so boisterous with how they talk and amongst each other. Between Sherry and the dude, the dad guy thing, stepdad guy, boyfriend, whatever the fuck he is, uh, and his sister, uh, even with the baby being, you know, a baby and crying and stuff like that, everybody is so loud and so obnoxious, but he kind of keeps to himself, and you kind of think that that's a little of where he gets everything from and how he's going to turn up, and... Then he gets into school and all of a sudden he has these like violent outbursts and he doesn't get it directly from fighting with the bullies. First you think with the bullies, maybe he's going to get some type of like picked on strength. You know what I'm talking about when they have it in movies like this and the kid all of a sudden fights back and fights up for himself. And then, you know, he goes on this like either you could say like murderous rampage against the bullies or you could... Uh, say some type of heroic action like he you know good for you you fought them off and now he's got this courage but instead he starts just telling the principal to fuck off like fuck off fuck off fuck off and he's yelling and screaming and it's this weird little outburst that he gets like he just switches like that so because of this the principal goes ahead and calls mrs myers to the school again again Jesus, what is it with you in this goddamn school? 
I cannot keep coming down here like this. Look, Miss Myers, I do not enjoy calling you down here every five minutes. Really? It sure seems like you fucking do. Can't you get control of your school, Principal? Yes, I can get control. I can control my school. There's, there's something, there's something you gotta know. Now, this principal, it's weird, kind of in the beginning, uh, from a distance when he starts walking up, he looks like an Anthony Hopkins lookalike. And that was my first impression. I was like, how did he get Anthony Hopkins to do with such a small, oh, oh, that really doesn't look like him. It's kind of like him from Westworld, maybe. No, not really. So, they talk, and of course, this is when we actually get dr loomis and the first time that he shows up to kind of explain to her that there are bigger problems going on with michael god hi jim how are you is this her miss myers this is dr loomis i took the liberty of calling him in happens to be a child psychologist thank you jim psychologist may i ask you has your son ever had any kind of serious psychiatric evaluation okay I've had enough. This is crazy. I've got to get back to work. i got to go. Please, man. We only want the best for the child. Please don't take what? offense. Please sit down. Sit down. Thank you. Look, uh, Miss Myers, we found this in Michael's school bag. Come on. Big deal. He found a dead cat. And these? What is that? I hope you're not squeamish, Mrs. Myers. Oh, this is really sick. Are you saying Michael did this? Michael loves animals. He... Why would he do this? Mrs. Myers, typically the thrill of hurting or causing pain to smaller creatures, it's often an early warning sign. Early warning sign for what? For much deeper and bigger problems. So while they're talking and hashing this out, uh, it looks like Mrs. Myers doesn't really give a shit. And Michael, he decides that he's going to run away at this point. And that's when we finally get the classic Halloween music popping in as he's running away. And then we focus on one of the bullies that beat him up. He messes with some other kid and then he breaks off from his bully friend. He goes into the forest and lo and behold... Michael is there to teach him a lesson and basically beats the ever-loving shit out of him and you can't quite tell if he actually killed him it's kind of let like it leaves you to believe that that's what happened but personally I'm not really sure because even at the end of everything that's happened he's still kind of moving he's just really bloody among the face though you know I guess you could make the argument that Right before it cuts to black, he kind of does another little swing. And, you know, uh, I guess you could say that he kills him. But I would like it, and I would like to believe that maybe the kid actually survived uh, as things went down. The main focus really should be is that you never run into the forest by yourself when being chased by Michael Myers at any point. Whether you know that he's a killer or you don't. And that the bully goes from being a badass uh, to being a complete and utter fucking punk when Mike starts beating on him. And where did this strength come from? That's a lot of my issue with the kid, Michael. Uh, Nothing with the actor, it's just the character, right? 
that he goes from being basically beat up in the bathroom to not and not getting that like uh i hate to use the word but retard strength uh you know that all of a sudden he's getting beat up and he's getting he pops like popeye a big can of spinach fucking swallows that shit and then beats the crap out of the bullies but no he doesn't do it until he basically corners this bully right and he knocks him down and he starts beating on him but he's able to keep his composure and he has all this strength to either beat the kid unconscious or kill the fucking kid and he didn't have that strength before and it's gonna show up in just a little bit as we get into the next scene and the other thing is that when he is beating the kid, you get these weird pans into the sky. It's like, it's, I don't know if they're, he's trying to maybe show something from the perspective of the kid being beaten on the ground, but you look up, you know, and the world is moving every time that there's a hit. Uh, and it's weird I, I can't quite make sense of the shot like there's some really cool shots and one of my favorite shots that rob zombies ever done is in a house of a thousand corpses uh and if you know the scene uh it's a and he uses a couple of those techniques here in the movie but i'm not sure why he decided that this was the best way to kind of portray the beatdown. um i I wish I knew, I wish I could make sense of it, but I want to point out uh, those types of shots. It just seems like every time it comes down, then we get to see the sky, and then when it comes down, we get to see the sky again, until we don't get to see the kid anymore. The other thought that I had about this shot, before I move on, was that maybe is this kind of like how Michael is avoiding the violence in his head? And And hear me out for a second, so... He lays down the one slab with the branch. And when you get to the cracking of the branch on skin, it's like we're going to a more serene place and we're kind of looking out and he's having an out-of-body experience. And he's not watching himself actually do this. And this can be kind of corroborated while he's in the mental institution, which we'll get to in just a bit. I also want to say one last thing is that he's wearing a kiss shirt. So I'm assuming that actually Kiss is the one that made him do it. Of course, I have another culprit, and I think that one's a little bit more solid than this, but we'll see what happens as the thing goes on. So we're back in the house now, and of course, the dad is, well, or the stepdad, or whatever the fuck this guy is. It's never really fucking explained. Is that his kid, or is he just fucking his mom? I forgot also to mention about the mom before we move on back into the house. The mom says she has to get back to work, but we don't know what her day job is, but we know her night job is as a stripper. So is she a daytime stripper too? Like, does she work the amateur hour? Like, she goes in there, she has to do double shifts, and that's why she needs the money? Uh, Think about that for a bit. You know, that's when you get the worst fucking strippers in the world. Daytime strippers. Anyway, so back in the house, and of course... Whatever the fuck he is, is talking shit again about Michael. Hey, clown. <laughs> hey. <laughs> go boy. Can't kill her. You really torture and kill all the worthless animals, boy. <laughs> Make you feel 
deep ass serious faggoty ass shit now on the tv there is a film playing and i know like pointing out these little intricacies are uh, sometimes annoying maybe weird but i'm not sure if it's playing dracula or it's playing white zombie I'm assuming it's playing White Zombie because Rob Zombie is directing this film and that was the band that he first came from. And it is Lugosi on the TV and I don't know if it's just a nod to him or it's a nod to something else. So of course Michael goes into the kitchen and you know his sister is supposed to be taking him out for a night of trick-or-treating. At least that's what the mom is telling her to do. So when mom goes to work all of a sudden boyfriend of sister slut shows up and they go off in the room to fuck because why not the guy downstairs doesn't give a shit and uh she's not going to take care of michael at all and at the same time who the fuck is taking care of boo because you never really see her in any other situation is she just like set inside of one of the rooms and no not boo from monsters inc okay don't get those two twisted, though I'm pretty sure there's probably a closet somewhere in here that's connected that's going to allow her to get away from this fucking family. I would rather live with Mike and Sully instead of these assholes any day. So, Michael goes uh, out trick-or-treating. Oh, God, not this Michael. I'm talking about Mike, you know, the big furry monster. Nah, I would not want to live with this Michael at all. So, he goes out trick-or-treating and he comes back. And, of course, everything's kind of still fucked up. Uh, dude man is passed on the couch, you know, sister and, you know, man whore or boyfriend or what do you want to call him upstairs. They're having fun and he's on the table eating candy corn. Now here is my theory. You may say that it's the family system. You may say that it is something deep rooted psychological inside of his head. You may say it's the fact that he kills animals for fun. And I say this all goes down big time when he eats the fucking candy corn. It's all the fucking candy corn's fault. Because this gets referenced again in this movie later on. And in Halloween 2, there's candy corn in there that happens to be eaten before more shit goes down. So it's all fucking candy corn. That shit is disgusting. It fucking sticks in your teeth. That would drive you fucking crazy. Like Lewis Black says, it's a fucking like amnesia candy. You think, oh, this is going to taste great. And then you fucking pop one in your mouth and you're like, oh my God, this is like Satan's fucking asshole. Why am I eating this shit? And so I think that he just had like way too many pieces of fucking candy corn he was fucking like this is all they fucking give me i'd rather have fucking toothpaste out there my sister she wouldn't take me to the good fucking neighborhood so i can get the big three musketeers and that big fucking snicks instead i'm fucking stuck here with candy corn but i might as well eat it because i want to have some fucking candy for halloween and then he goes and he takes a bite and he's just like i'm gonna go tie up my dad or whatever the fuck his name is and then i'm gonna go over and i'm gonna slit his throat which is what he does and then I'm going to go and wait for my sister's boyfriend to come downstairs after they've stopped fucking and we get to see some teen titties. But they're not really, you know, teen. It's voyeurs here. We're watching high school girls. Uh, and so I get to watch that go down. And then I'm going to go, when he goes and sits on the table, I'm going to 
smash his fucking head because I've been listening to My Name is Mud by Primus and I think the aluminum baseball bat up to the side of head is perfect. See, this is what Candy Corn is doing to young Michael Myers. He's fucking limits listening to Primus somehow from the future and he's fucking just like killing everybody now. So he then kills the the boyfriend by smashing the aluminum baseball bat over his head and uh you know it lays him out in a pool of blood and then he goes upstairs and at one point the boyfriend thought it'd be very funny to scare uh slut sister here with a uh that the michael myers mask and i know it's actually the william shatner mask that's been dyed and stuff like that uh, and if you want the whole story, you can read about it uh, for the original Halloween. But, you know, this is the iconic mask of Michael Myers. But he uses the, the boyfriend's the one that brings into the picture here. Oh, good. Like, what? You know, he just steals it in the original. And here, we need an origin story for the mask, too? Okay, I guess. Let's just bring it in now. And so he slips on the mask... And he starts, and this is where it's kind of creepy, he starts rubbing his hand and guiding it up his naked sister's thigh, and uh, we get this. Stop. Once a night is enough. Stop it. Michael? Michael, what the fuck are you doing in here? Answer me. Michael? Michael! Answer me! And that's when he stabs his sister because she starts slapping him upside the head. And honestly, there's, you know, so many things that are kind of odd with this scene. And you get one of the favorite, (laughs) favorite things that Rob Zombie likes to do in these films, which is naked women going down a hallway about to be killed. I'm serious. It happens multiple times because she walks down the hallway scantily clad still stabbed and then michael stabs her must have stabbed her 15 fucking times and then took her heart out to eat it or something uh but he does go into the room with boo and uh ends up taking her outside and sits on the front porch so the moral of the story here is if your parents or sister or anybody in your family doesn't take you out trick-or-treating and you're forced to eat fucking candy cord because that's all you can get kill your fucking family so he's sitting outside and he's waiting for uh his mom to come home and i really don't know how long her shift is because she gets home it's still dark uh so i'm assuming it's a couple hours because she did work the day shift right so maybe she only worked to like midnight or maybe one o'clock and so he's out there she kind of wonders to him because he's holding boo in his arms because that's the only one that he cares about and thank you rob zombie for not i know you can't really do it because of the movie but just not killing the kid at least trying to show maybe some sort of compassion within michael myers but we all know what happens later on the film and where that goes so as she keeps asking Michael what's going on, it fades into news coverage of exactly what he did. And 
was described by police as massive like its viciousness and more horrific than any Judith Meyer's new body was found lying face down in a pool of blood in an upstairs hallway. Apparently, she had been stabbed 17 times. Her boyfriend, Stephen Haley's body, was found in the kitchen downstairs, the victim of an apparent vicious beating with an aluminum baseball bat. Along with Myers and Haley, a third victim, Ronnie White, was found bound to a chair. White's neck slit wide open with a kitchen knife and stabbed numerous times in the face and chest. Of course, we'll have much more on this horrific story as it develops. But for now, three people brutally murdered and a 10-year-old boy, Michael Myers, being held in custody. Now, see, normally in most films, and even in this one, I could have actually cut this right here. If I was robbed, that's what I would do. You really don't need to do much more because it's kind of like the original film and you are trying to do a lot of things similar like the story the baseline is exactly the same in about 20 more minutes but and and even in this portion of it so you can have the beginning you can have him shown that he was you know troubled by bullies that he had an affinity for killing animals his mom really couldn't control him but she let him kind of do whatever he wanted to do anyway and he was kind of a mama's boy uh and he just finally had it he ate the candy corn and then he went on a family killing spree and that could have been it and we could have faded into the current day and the the other thing before we move on i should say that the that mom she said that we're going to start the change tomorrow and maybe also that besides just the candy corn uh maybe there was a little influence maybe he thought okay well if we're starting a new tomorrow that means i need to kill my family uh which technically it does uh but here's another portion of the film that probably drags on a little too long and has one of my least favorite things in it uh which we are going to talk about that i i disagree with the way that it was done uh but here we are now let's introduce you to 11 months later and smith's grove i'm standing outside smith's grove sanitarium where late last night 10-year-old Michael Myers was transferred after being found guilty of first-degree murder. Myers' verdict comes after one of the lengthiest and most expensive trials in the state's history. In attendance during this trial, Dr. Samuel Loomis. Loomis has now been appointed by Judge Masterson to oversee Myers' care while incarcerated here at Smith's Grove. Now, like I said, the guy, the little kid that plays young Michael Myers really is a good fit for this role is like the most amazing casting choice and it really shows during these scenes here as michael degrades over time but in the beginning it's total denial and you can't tell if he's actually just pretending to not know or he blocked that portion out of his mind of where he killed his fucking family except for his mom and his little sister uh because he's just kind of talks freely with dr loomis over some of the tapes even when he talks to his mom, you get this weird, eerie sense that he kind of knows, or he has to know. Is everyone at home okay? Everything's okay at home. So, Michael is forced to live at Smith's Grove, and he kind of goes through different pairings of conversations with dr loomis that are being recorded but one of the more 
I would say kind of like heartfelt scenes, weirdly comes from Danny Trejo, who plays a janitor that is uh, cleaning up near Michael's cell inside the sanitarium. And he gives him some really good advice. Hey, Mikey, how you doing? Look, can't let those walls get you down. Believe me, I know. I spent a little time behind walls. I know they can drive you crazy. You, you gotta look beyond the walls. You know, learn to live inside your head. Hey, there's no walls that can stop you there. I, I gotta get back to work. You take it easy, Mike. Okay, so you're gonna turn him into the fucking silent killer. You're the one that's gonna make him stop talking to himself because he's fucking stuck there, right? He can't go anywhere. So he's gonna start building the walls around his head, not just, you know, with the walls inside. He's gonna go deep into his mind to ignore the rest of the world that's out there because. All he's going to be able to do for a while is go into the cell and then go and talk to Loomis and then go back to the cell and talk to Loomis. So really, it's it truly isn't just Candy Corn's fault. It's also Danny Trejo's fault because he's the one that told him to get into his fucking head. I it's so weird and it's it's actually kind of a cool I'm going to be perfectly honest, I love Danny Trejo, okay? Uh from when I've seen him in Con Air when he does these really cheesy fucking action movie roles where he's the badass Mexican to where he was in Predators to Machete to this. This, though, is the first time that I've... There's, like, it feels like real acting there. And it genuinely gives off this feeling that he understands what the kid's going through because, of course, he's a fucking been a fucking prisoner, right? Like, that's stereotypical. But, in general, I really like this small role that he had, and I wish he would have been something else in this movie. So, we go through, and then Michael starts creating masks. And in one situation, he creates a new one, which happens to be completely black. And Loomis asks him, why the color? Why is it all black? Because it's one of my favorite colors. Well, actually, black isn't a color, is it? It's the absence of color and the spectrum of colors. You go from black, which is no color, all the way through to white, which is every color. So technically, not that it really matters, but um, black isn't a color. Why did you make it? I have my secrets. Ah, wait a minute. I thought we had no secrets, you and I. Because no one sees me. Yes, they do. I see you every day. Your mom, she comes every week. Anybody else? I think the true reason that he's been creating all these masks, because he starts creating a ton of them, uh, is so that later on, when he's out and he's ready, and maybe when he gets into the, you know, late 90s, he can join fucking Slipknot. I mean, that one of the masks that he creates almost looks like one of the masks that Corey Taylor fucking wears. And it's kind of weird, and especially in Halloween 2, the way the Shatner mask evolves, quote-unquote, uh, it really does feel like it fits that jolt in that or that mold in that genre. Maybe Clown had something to do with actually uh, making the masks for this movie. He also meets with his mom, who 
as it goes on, he's kind of not wearing the masks around here, but then he starts wearing them more often. And this is also his decline into not really talk anymore. And he explains to her why exactly he wears those masks. I like the mask because it hides my face. I don't like you to hide your face. Take it off. It hides my ugliness. Sweetie, don't say that. Take it off. You're not ugly. Don't talk like that, okay? Okay. But he is ugly. And here's the mom again going along with placating the child. Like, I understand this is your son or, you know, it would be your daughter if it was a she in this case. But you got to somehow separate yourself from that, right? Because you can't deal... I mean, she does it horribly. The way that she decides to separate herself from this whole situation is, spoiler fucking blowing her brains out, right? Uh... And that's not maybe the way that you want to go. And I understand maybe you can't believe that your son is so capable of doing something like this. That he's so, like, devoid of anything. Any type of morality, any type of thought uh, that anything is wrong the way that he's doing anything. That the only way to escape from it is just to kill yourself. I can't believe you created this monster. And... It's where it even goes with, uh, you know, the outburst that they start ha- he starts having with Dr. Loomis. Fuck you! Fuck you! Wow! I hate you! Shut the fuck up! I'm gonna get out of here! Just let me out! I don't want to be here anymore. It's okay. I just want to go home. So this is when uh, you truly he's starting his downward fall into the Michael Myers that we know. Uh, because then we have a very awkward family dinner with mom, Dr. Loomis, and Michael there. And Michael, funny enough that he's a kid, but he's starting to look prison buff. Like he's, they have him sit in a way where his shoulders are a little more wider. Uh, and you can kind of see at this point, maybe that's the person that he's going to become. So now that he's not really talking anymore, mom gets kind of frustrated, but Dr. Luma says, hey, can I speak to you outside? They go outside to talk, and a nurse comes over to watch him. And there is... There's a decently shot scene here. I I like the way that things happen in the scene, but there's one part of it that's very annoying. And one, she's a huge bitch to him. Like, I, I can't... It's hard to explain, like... She just has this reaction. As a nurse, why would you talk like this? Why would you see this person unless you have total disdain for that person that's in front of you? So she turns her back on him. Of course, he gets a prison shiv and fucking cuts the bitch and kills her. And there is a very silent scene. And the silence creates this decent sense of panic. But there's a siren that goes on in the background and it's just it's like the best way i can describe it in terms of annoying the shit out of me is like when you hear those minions and they go be doo be doo be doo like that fucking bullshit 
that's the way this is for me. It ruins a perfectly good scene. I don't need to hear just the sirens coming from the thing to let everybody know that the nurse is getting killed and that Michael's doing it. Instead, you could do it. Bring down the volume of that fucking buzzer because it goes on for way too fucking long. And just have the silence and the scream of the lady. You see her mouth open up. Nothing's coming out because everybody's panicking. They're telling him to get down, to stop what he's doing. And it's... That's fucking cool. I like that. It, it Like I said, there's this panic when you can't hear what's going on. But when you put it in there and you put this fucking siren over it, it's it's just annoying. And it sucks. And I don't know why you want to make that choice. Like I said, one of my favorite scenes that he's ever done. And it's one of my... It, it's I know it's probably an homage to something, and I'm not sure just what. And, and it's a movie I want to talk about at a later date, but in a House of a Thousand Corpses, my favorite scene is when one of the cops gets killed, and he's forced to get onto his knees. And uh, one of the brothers points out, and I can't remember the name off the top of my head, but he takes his gun and he's going to kill him. And then you get the music, and the music just stops. And it's just silence. And the camera pans back and pulls away and keeps pulling back further and further and further. In the beginning, I thought this was really ridiculous when I first saw it. But the more I've seen it, I love it. I love this shot until you hear the final shot of the gun. It's such a cool fucking scene. It's It, it goes on maybe for a little too long, but I just enjoy the buildup because there's that tension of when is it going to happen and you know he's probably counting his prayers and he's coming to terms with everything within that time frame before he is shot and well actually i think it's maybe it's not one of the cops maybe it's the father of one of the girls uh but still the scene itself is masterfully done it is beautiful absolutely beautiful and this is one of those scenes that kind of starts in that vein and there's a couple of the times where he does something similar but then you add that fucking noise to it and the beauty is gone the terror the suspense this panic that you have it's completely gone and it's ruined by the sirens why would you do it and i just i don't get it so it's this that Loomis starts to think of himself as a failure because even after all this time that he's talked with Michael and he thought he's gotten through with him, he still returns to his primal animal instincts to kill. This is also the point in the movie where Sherry Moon kills herself and leaves poor baby Boo, who we haven't even talked about in the longest time, uh, to fend for herself, I guess. And... It's just another way of maybe ignoring everything that's kind of going on around her. And she just can't deal with it anymore. Because there's no change for Michael. And since there's no change for him, there's no reason for her to be left in this world. We now fast forward to 15 years later and when we begin... I don't know if this is Act 2 or Act 3 or Act whatever fucking it is. But again, this is kind of where we... Again, it's still too long. Uh, but where we kind of begin the actual movie, right? The rest of it, where you would normally sit your stuff. The Asylum stuff is really cool, and it's really interesting to look into the young mind of young Michael, but it's kind of pointless for this type of beast. Um, maybe not pointless. Maybe that's not the best. It's excessive. That's a better word for it. It's overly excessive because of the setup that you had with the family in the beginning, 
And that would have been fine if you went from that to him maybe even cutting here when he's escaping from the asylum. Like, 15 years later, he's been locked up, and now he's going to try shit. So, we get introduced into some of the people that are, you know, watchers of him. One of them happens to still be uh, Danny. He is with another guard that, of course, doesn't really understand what the hell's going on with Michael. Hey, 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 don't touch those. What? He doesn't like it when you touch the ass. God damn, I wouldn't want to bum the freak out. Uh, sorry about these chains, Mikey. What do you mean you're sorry about these chains? You got feelings for this big idiot? Is that what it is? What's the dick going on, Ishmael? What the fuck, man? You know what? I've been taking care of this kid for almost 20 years. And me and him... You know what? Never mind. Just shut up, man. Just keep your hands off his things. It's the same type of feeling that you had before between Trejo's character, who's now one of the guards, I guess, on this in the sanitarium, uh, as well as Dr. Loomis expresses when he speaks to him in the next scene. I really don't know what else to say, Michael. I mean, you, you haven't said a word for 15 years. Christ, that's a lifetime. That's nearly twice as long as my first marriage. Wow. It's strange, Michael. In a weird way, you've become like... like my best friend. Huh. It just shows you how fucked up my life is. I've done all I possibly can for you. So... Sorry to tell you that this is going to be my last day. Michael, I have to move on. I'm sorry. So it's weird. Both of these guys have a connection directly to Michael. Michael is such a influencing figure for the last 15 years. And it's weird that he's kind of been talking to Dr. Loomis for so long. Well, he's been silent. Uh, but Loomis has kind of let everything out upon Michael. That's kind of what we're left to infer here. And Trejo... One of the scenes, again, that I just don't care for. We don't really need to see it. Now, I should mention that I'm watching the uncut version of the movie. So I don't remember if this was originally a part of it. Uh, I think there was portions of it. But maybe not as graphic as it was because two of the other guards, they're coming in and they take one of the girls from one of the other rooms who's there and basically bring her over to Michael's cell, open it up, and uh, first they try to get him to rape her and then they decide, we're going to rape her instead. And it's pretty graphic uh, of a scene here and I really kind of really wish I hadn't seen it, but then... Uh, it gets to the point where they start fucking over with uh, the masks and everything he has on the wall. And kind of like Kane from the WWF, he rises up. And it's weird. You have this weird moralistic type of attack. I can't tell at this point if he's saving the girl or he's just like, oh, this is an opportunity for me to escape. Um, and so, you know, he kills them. Uh, he goes out... Uh, in into the hallways and it's hard to hate him at this point 
for stopping those two assholes. But then his moral compass comes into question again. And it kind of proves to you in one of the worst fucking scenes in this movie. Uh, and you can argue with me if you want. Uh, I absolutely hate this. And I don't think that there's any point to this part actually happening. And I wish maybe things should have changed a little bit. And it's in the sequence when Michael Myers kills Danny Trejo's character. I don't think that should have ever happened. I get why it happened, okay? It's basically to show that even though here's a guy that's been taking care of Michael for, I don't know how many, 15 years, right? Or more. uh, Because during the time frame from when, we don't know how long it was between the 11 months when he was sentenced there to whenever they said 15 years later. That could have been a couple of years. Uh, of him growing the way that he was. But Treo's character was always good to him and always cared for him and did whatever he needed him to do and treated him the way that he felt he should be treated uh, because he knew his situation. He had been involved in there before. And Michael just flat out kills him indiscriminately. Like, he doesn't just... I would have been okay with him getting to the point that... And, and again, I get, understand, it's to prove to you that Michael Myers don't give a shit about no one. He don't have any type of moral compass, period. He will just fucking kill you, whether you're good, you're bad, you're helpful to him. You, if you went over there and he, he ran into fucking Jesus, okay? So Jesus comes by and he says, dude, I'm going to totally clean you up. I'm going to give you a brand new life. I'm going to... You know, make sure that you're... I'm going to use my magical Jesus powers and BAM! You're the best person in the world. He would fucking rip off Jesus' fucking head. I get it. That's what he's doing here. That's why he's killing Trejo. But even when I first saw this movie, I didn't agree with it. And I still don't. I think this is the shittiest thing in the entire film. He could have just knocked him fucking out. You could have left it at that. He could have put him in the water. You could have had him pretend that he did that. And at the last minute, he thought, you know what? I'm going to spare one person in this film. Because he does that with his sister later on when things go down. That's the only person that he cares for, is his sister. And really, he should have... If you wanted to make him different, and you wanted to make him new, because even in, in some situations... He has moralistic on who he kills. Because we don't know if he killed the other girl. I'm assuming it now. But the poor girl gets raped and then gets fucking killed by Michael Myers. I don't know. We we never actually see that happen. And it's to assume that we don't. But it's also to assume since he kills a caretaker that's been so good to him. Uh, even though he's trying to put the cuffs back on him. It, it still sucks. And I I just, no sir, I don't like it. So he runs away, and that causes uh, people in charge of the facility to call Dr. Loomis. Hello? Sam. Who is this? Sam, it's Coplinson. Who? Dr. Coplinson from Smith's Grove. He's out. Michael's out. He broke out a, a few hours ago. Sam, it's a, it's a fucking massacre. I'm coming right away. All right. So Michael is out and he runs over to a truck station. And we get a scene with uh, one of Rob Zombie's regulars. 
in a truck stop where he kills him indiscriminately. Again, it, I get it, maybe a little bit, but this seems seems like it's just a little bit much. Doesn't necessarily be, need to be in the film, other than to say, "Hey, look who I got for this movie." Like seriously, that's what it feels like. Uh, then we cut back, and this is Joe Grizzly, by the way, and he does have a pretty funny scene in the bathroom. But again, it's maybe it's more comic relief than anything else. And so as day turns to night. It is now time for the real movie. And this is about an hour into it. We've had so much backstory that we're finally getting to the Lori Stroud piece of the film. And when we first meet Lori, she's not one of her typical teenage people. And Mr. Nichols is a horny old pervert. Okay, don't even want to know. Guess what, Mom? Mr. Nichols touched me the wrong way. Oh, whoa, whoa. Okay, that is so not funny. You want a screwdriver, Mommy? You want a hammer? Look at this, Mom. Lori! I'm sorry, I'm Stop. sorry. Okay, okay. Are you eating? No, I'll get something at school. Oh, my God. Oh, okay, so... I, I'm sorry, but we have to make a little bit of a comparison here. And I told you I wasn't going to do it, but uh, it's obvious that I lied. Because we need to compare the two Lori Strouds together. You have the original played by Jamie Lee Curtis. And she was more of a wholesome type of girl, right? A little bit more pure and kind of... But she had a little bit of a darker side to her, but it wasn't so out there. And so now you have this Laurie Strode. And she talks like a fucking sailor. I mean, the words that come out of her mouth, what are we trying to portray here? In fact, this is the way that the girls are portrayed in the entire film. There are these teenage girls that are way oversexed and way overdone and way over the top. Like, there's nothing really rooting for her other than she's going to be attacked. And you know what's going to happen from now on to the end of the movie. And you have this character that you're kind of like, okay, it's kind of comic relief, but here's some of that verbal diarrhea that's in that script that Rob Zombie writes that doesn't need to be there. (sighs) So she leaves the house and goes out to drop off something for her dad at one of the old houses that he's, I guess, going to be selling in the neighborhood. Of course, she probably lives right up the street from the house that she grew up in when she was a baby, And we're supposed to not guess that that's what's going to happen. We also run into Tommy here, where she tells him that he's annoying because he's eating too many candy corn. See? Fucking told you. That kid is fucking going to kill people too because he's been eating too many fucking candy corns. See? It's all starting to connect now. You have candy corn and it's affecting the way that Tommy's acting too. Now, whether or not he's going to go out there and kill his whole family on fucking Halloween night is little to be unknown, but the fact of the matter is, candy corn is going to have some sort of direct reason why shit might go down with Tommy on Halloween night. So... They walk over to the house that she's going to be dropping off the keys on, and Tommy does give Lori a little bit of a warning. The devil's house. The boogeyman lives in there. Oh, no, Tommy. Don't even joke about it. I'm serious. scary. Maybe the boogeyman will get me, or Danny the Wolfman. Actually, no, your older brother is going to come and get you, because he's hanging out in the house right now, and he's watching you from the mirror with his creepy 
breathing patterns. So we cut over now to Dr. Loomis and the heads of the psychiatric hospital that Michael Myers was staying at, and he blames everything on them. This is all your fault. I mean, you're responsible. I cannot be responsible for everything that goes on here. About you. No, 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 no. You're not pinning this on me. He was your patient, Doctor. Was my patient. Look, all you guys had to do was to play zookeeper. You know, just keep the monkey house locked until the monkey died of old age. How difficult is that? Christ, you can barely tell he's breathing half the time. He's been like a comatose kitty for 15 years. If our security wasn't sufficient, Sammy, he should have warned us. I see. So you're just going to wash your hands of the whole thing. You know, you two make me sick. He is mad that trusts in the tameness of a wolf. We've given the authorities his complete profile. Two roadblocks and an old points bulletin wouldn't stop a five-year-old. Well, what do you want us to do? Yes, I mean, what do you want us to do? you to get on the phone and i want you to tell them who broke out of here last night and i want you to tell them exactly where he's going christ we don't know where he's going it must be great living in denial i must try it sometime look you and that army of shirt tuckers up there you know damn well where he's going and where's that haddonfield so I guess Loomis is now Michael Myers' like mental double because he knows exactly what he's going for. It's kind of weird because then we go back to the high school, right? And there's conversations between Laurie and one of her friends who obviously is supposed to be a slut, at least in the eyes of this movie, because everything that she's fucking talking about is something to do with sex and calling her high school cheerleading coach I'll see you next tuesday uh and of course you know high school girls they only really talk about sex in the most raunchiest ways don't they rob like i again it's that verbal diarrhea that's going on here and i'm still waiting for one of the better monologue scenes uh for this movie we then cut over to Loomis, and he's there with, oh, hey, look, it's Sid Haig. And uh, he plays a caretaker, and they're going to a grave, and he's trying to go over, I guess, to his mother's grave, uh, well, Michael's mother's grave. And when he gets there, instead of the tombstone being there, there is a stretched-out animal, which I believe is a cat, and kind of reference to what he used to do, which causes Loomis to run away and leave poor Sid by himself to clean up the mess. Uh, he's trying to say that it's more or less just kids doing it, but we all know exactly what's going on here. At this point, uh, we get another title card. And the title card, I guess, are kind of like our chapters of the film. And this one, I believe, is for the end of the film, which is, of course, for Halloween. So it's Halloween day. Everybody's kind of, you know, getting ready to do everything. Uh, and I guess these chapters kind of also use kind of like a passage of time, or at least to separate the different parts of the film together. There's a couple of different things that happen at this point in the film. Uh, nothing really major, but the big thing is that we transition over to Michael's house, and we're going to start killing off some of the teenagers that are in the area. 
So we go into the house, and it's the slutty cheerleader girl, and she's got her boyfriend there. And, of course, this is their, like, quote-unquote party house, and she's upset that they're going to be selling it because now they can't drink beer and fuck in here anymore. I guess I'd be kind of upset, too, if this was the place I knew that I could get away from everybody and hide the fact that I'm screwing my boyfriend or girlfriend inside uh, a random house. Uh, There's plenty of nudity that goes on here. uh, And there's stupid conversations between her and her boyfriend. And she convinces him to go out and get some beer, more beer. Uh, And when he does that, he tries to come back wearing a... um, It's almost like it's a recreation of the initial scene. I should also mention, I forgot to say, that Michael had hidden the uh, William Shatner mask in the house... I guess when he was a little kid before he was found and now he dug it up so that he can wear it. (laughs) And so when the boyfriend comes back wearing a sheet trying to be a ghost, he actually attacks the poor guy and kills the boyfriend, hanging him up inside the house. Uh, Then he goes, of course, wearing the sheet, looks kind of like he's pleasuring himself under the blanket while watching the poor high school girl over there think that it's her boyfriend slowly but sure bada bing bada bang bada boom uh girl's gonna get killed and again we have another scene of a scantily clad or naked lady walking down the hallway while michael myers is getting ready to finish her off this is number two we're still not done yet folks and like i said before it's kind of recreating the original scene when he killed his sister because right before he's going to kill her, in the background you hear Blue Oyster Colts don't fear the Reaper. See, when his sister was killed, she put on headphones that kind of blocked out all the sound everywhere, and she was listening to that song really loud. At this point, this chick is laying here naked, and the music starts to come on, and that's when Michael Myers shows up. So hey, at least he has a decent calling card, right? It's a pretty cool song to come into and kill your friends with. Or kill somebody else's friends with i should say um so scratch that and reverse it uh and like i said it's recreating because it's another boyfriend girlfriend situation he was wearing the mask this boyfriend was wearing the sheet trying to scare her the music comes on uh she thinks that it's the boyfriend she thinks that it was the boyfriend and really in both cases it's michael myers and michael myers kills him and then she walks down the hallway after she's been stabbed or almost killed uh one just happens to have less clothes on than the other and it's in the same house it's like ah it's refreshing to be back home it's just like i left it and just like i remembered it so after he kills her he takes her body out to the back and then we cut over to loomis gun shopping what about this big one here? That looks perfect. Hey, like yeah, that one. Here. Yes, yes, that's lovely. 22 Smith and Wesson. Mm-hmm. That's good. That's, yeah. mm-hmm. that's okay if you want to just piss it off. If you, you want to uh, blow its fucking head off, this is what you want. 357 oh. Magnum. Wolf mainspring, polyagonal rifling. Beautiful, beautiful. Poly- Muzzle what? velocity of 1,450 Great, just wrap it up. That's fine. Okay, Dante. okay, That's take fine. it easy. Thank you, yes, I'm, I'm in a bit of a hurry. Huh? If you could just wrap it up, that'd be great. Thank you. What are we hunting? So we see him get his gun and cuts over to Lori talking with her current mom and dad about the dangers of babysitting on Halloween night. He's supposed to, the dad's supposed to give some type of spiel that, you know, you got to watch out for crazies and everything. She says, ha, 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 and then they, she runs off to go babysit Tommy for the night. And then this creates actually one of the few jump scares 
that has actually ever scared me while watching it on TV. Now, mind you, I was watching with a headset on uh, because for some reason the volume was really low when watching it on the TV and uh, decided, oh, I'll just plug in my headset and listen to it that way. And Jason comes by and he slits the throat of the father super quick. And even with the noise and everything, it startled me. I didn't expect it to come because, one, I haven't seen it in a while, but it's weird that a jump scare like that will actually work on me when I'm watching a horror movie on normal TV and not just in a theater. Theaters are always different because you get the crowd around you and there's that tension there, right? But if you're just watching a movie by yourself on the couch, uh, most things shouldn't fucking scare you unless it's some type of, like, psychological shit. So he kills him super fast, drags him into the house, and then starts attacking dear old mom. And poor mom, she can't fight against him. She tries to call the cops and she's ultimately thrown into a glass table and then her neck is snapped and what's kind of weird in this and it's a weird kind of trope too within rob zombies movies because it happens in this one and it happens in the next halloween and it's happened before in his other films when he kills men it's relatively quick uh sometimes it's a little prolonged but the scene never you never really seem fully tortured but when it comes to killing women he tends to stay on it more or more things happen to them. And it's definitely true within this Halloween and the second one. And it kind of starts with the way the women walk down the hallways after they have been stabbed. Like you kill the poor boyfriend, he's still stuck up there, that's it, he's dead. But the girl, she gets stabbed and then she has to walk down the hallway all bloodied and naked and get stabbed again. It's the same thing here with the mom. Uh, she tries to attack, he, she gets thrown and you think that he's killed her. But no, he hasn't yet. She actually kind of escapes. Then he throws her into a coffee table. Okay, now she's dead. No, she's just got glass sticking out of her face. And then he snaps her neck. And the weirdest and most awkward neck snap that I think I've ever seen on film. But there's a long, prolonged way of killing her. And I just kind of don't get it. And he even does it one-handed. And that's kind of weird as it is. So we then cut back and now we're with Lori and Tommy and he's got more questions about the boogeyman. Lori? What? Is the boogeyman real? Why are you so obsessed with the boogeyman, Tommy? Well, I hear things at school. Like what? Well, I heard that on Halloween night, the boogeyman sneaks out and attacks kids you don't believe. Look under these tables. You know what, Tommy? It is true. He likes to eat little boys like you. Oh my god, the boogeyman's here! We're gonna die! Tommy, we're gonna die! So she gets a call from her friend Annie who tells her now it's time for you to come over and for you to pick up the girl that I'm babysitting so I can fuck my boyfriend. Seriously, that's the way it is. And, and this is, again, this is almost a faithful recreation of what's going on. So the girl comes over, uh, and she goes back over to her house. We also get to have a scene in which uh, Loomis is talking to the sheriff, where the sheriff believes that everything is just a prank. Doc, I'm sorry if I don't sound too concerned, but a dead coyote and a, and a missing headstone doesn't prove anything. Well, I think you're wrong, Sheriff. I, I think it does prove that he's here in Haddonfield. It was a Halloween prank. Kids pull shit like that all the time. The stone will be returned tomorrow, and besides, it weighs over half a ton. That's my point, exactly. So you're saying that one man picked it up and walked away with it? Yes. 
Doc, I may have been born, but I wasn't born yesterday. I'm sorry, Sheriff, but please, uh, listen to me. It, this may be a matter of life and death. All right, I'll tell you what I'll do. You come by my office tomorrow. Tomorrow is too late. Evil is here. It's walking amongst us. Doc, it sounds to me like you're talking about the Antichrist. Well, perhaps I am. Tomorrow is too late. Evil never takes a vacation, nor does it take a day off. It's already here, and it's not going to wait because it is fucking efficient. Don't you understand? Evil isn't lazy like good. That's basically what he's kind of saying. Is like, okay, well, you know, you're warning me about a killer, but um, I don't give a shit. We'll just wait for tomorrow because I think you're fucking crazy instead of maybe looking into this. And he's like, hey, you know who fucking Michael Myers is, right? The little kid that killed his whole fucking family. Well, guess what? He escaped from the insane asylum. Now he's loose in your area. And maybe you should do something about that. Oh, nah, you're lying. He, he can't be that bad. I don't even think he's around here. Why would he be here? I don't get it. I mean, there's nothing here that he would ever want, right? Right? So we go back to Annie and Lori after she's dropping off the kid, and there's some uh, more of that stupid dialogue about boys, talking about how boys probably retarded, uh, but, man, he probably can fuck pretty good, uh, which all teenage girls talk about i mean again i i understand that like you could be like oh you know tommy likes you and uh oh yeah you know i know i like him and i want to get with like it's just the raunchiness of the dialogue again it's that fucking dialogue diarrhea that fucking rob zombie puts out in a lot of his films again there isn't that aha moment in this film just yet so after they talk about the dude and they go back uh and uh you know we know who he's probably gonna kill first next we go back to the sheriff and loomis talking in the sheriff's office you have to stop thinking that we're dealing with a normal man here we're, we're dealing with a, a soulless killing machine driven by pure animal instinct dr loomis i'm gonna have to level with you i read your book I know exactly who you are, and frankly, I don't like you. And I'll tell you something else. I think you have created quite the masterpiece of a monster off the blood of this town. Because monsters sell books. Please, just look at this photograph on the cover of the book. All right. I first met Michael 17 years ago. When I first met him, he was a, a sweet, charming little boy. He had, he had nothing inside. There was something missing. It, a void. There was no conscience, no reason. Even in a, a rudimentary sense of life or death, right or wrong. He's come back for her. And who is her? He's come back for his baby sister. I know it's in my bones, Sheriff. Do what? I don't know, Sheriff, but it's not good. So this is one of the cool kind of ways that Malcolm McDowell plays Loomis. Uh, and I don't want to get into it right now, but because we are going to get into it. 
but there's a different Loomis in the next movie that I just don't understand what the hell's going on. So he, the sheriff goes and decides that he's going to call, who happens also to be Annie's dad, in case you uh, didn't know. Uh, he decides to call Lori's parents because he knows something that nobody else knows. Uh, and he calls, and for some reason, I thought the phone was off the hook, unless Michael was very nice to put the phone back on the hook, because he calls, and it keeps ringing and ringing and ringing, and he hits the answering machine, and basically uh, freaks out when he really can't get in touch with them. I guess the saying is true, you can't really hear the answering machine go off when you're dead. So, we go over back to Lori, and now she's watching both the girl... Uh, and Tommy, and they're watching, looks like the thing from another planet, uh, which I guess is also kind of a nod to the original, because I believe that was the movie that was playing on that one, Uh, and I could be wrong, and if I am wrong, please let me know. Uh, And there's talk, and it goes back to talk of the boogeyman. I would like to return to the subject we started earlier this evening. What, your hatred of peanut butter? No, the boogeyman. I need some closure on this topic. I've heard all about this. What do you want to know, Tommy? Why would he only attack kids who don't believe? I mean, that doesn't make sense. Is it because if you believe, then you're protected by his powers? Wait, Tommy, enough about the boogeyman. It's nonsense. I'm Tommy on this one. Yeah, why do you keep avoiding the subject, Lori? Is she scared? Maybe she So there's a cute little scene with the kids attacking her and going with the boogeyman. And then we cut over to more fucking. Uh, It's Annie and her boyfriend, and they're getting it on. And then who shows up? Why, Mr. Michael Myers. And he basically stabs the boyfriend while she's on top of him. Uh, well, sorry, while he's on top of her, not while he she's on top of him. Uh, and, uh, you know, stabs him pretty good, throws him off to the side, and goes after poor Annie. And she runs around the house with her boobs out. Again, she's being attacked, and she's naked while being attacked. I mean, at least he's trying to bring back a lot of the things from the old slasher days, like the excessive nudity and, uh, you know, violence, but... Really, why do we need to have the third scene of a naked lady running down the hallway? Uh, But he ends up catching up to her, and he fucks her up. So then we cut over to Loomis and the sheriff talking in the car, and they talk about who Lori really is. About 17 years ago, I responded to a 911, which turned out to be the... Myers woman's suicide and I see this beautiful innocent baby sitting in this bloody mess and I can't imagine this child growing up with the stigma around her neck so I admit her from the report I drive her to another town and drop her off at the nearest emergency room and I think that this is going to be the end of about three months later I find out from a friend of mine Mason Strode that he's adopted the baby And now we're back at the house, and the thing I kind of find fucked up is that they used the poor little girl's house to get it on. But I guess back in the day when you had babysitters, it's a lot of what they would do, and of course, Lori's in on the whole deal. But it's also fucked up that they got killed in the same house uh, that they decided to have their last coitus in. But uh, unbeknownst to poor Lori, 
she decides that it's time to take the little girl back home. She takes her back, leaves Tommy by himself, uh, and when she opens the door, she sees that Annie is laying there completely carved up, bloody, and half-dressed. She looks around, and she's obviously freaking out, tells the girl to go back home, well, over to Tommy's, and to call the police. She goes and she leaves Annie there, says, don't worry, I'll be back. But Annie's trying to warn her of something, and sneaky old Michael Myers is hiding behind the door. Because when Lori goes to the kitchen to call the police to tell them exactly what's gone on, and that they need to get an ambulance and some help for her there, Mike sneaks out from the back behind the door and then chases her into the kitchen. And this is where a lot of the film now ends up, right? It becomes just a chase between Michael and and Laurie Stroud. He keeps trying to to get her, and he actually ends up knocking her out and carrying her back to his place. This is, of course, not before she makes it back to Tommy's house, barricades herself in the bathroom because, of course, the bathroom is the best way. Cop fodder comes in and gets killed in an actual kind of a cool way with one of the cops uh where he's she's gonna go unlock the door to let him in and then he gets stabbed and his face goes against the frosted glass and you see him spit up the blood and the blood come down the sides it's kind of neat kind of interesting uh and then you have um you know she's able to get out of from the kids and then she gets knocked unconscious and carried back to the house by uh poor michael here it's a pretty good build of suspense in these scenes, too, as she's hiding. She's trying to get away. Will they get her? Will they won't? Um, and these are the parts where Rob Zombie really shines in these films. The other thing I've got to prop Rob Zombie for, or at least Michael Myers, is he doesn't kill kids. So that's good on him, I guess, as well. We find out that Annie actually is still alive, and it's kind of good when the cop shows up and that his daughter actually survived the confrontation with Michael Myers. Loomis goes off uh, into the distance and he's going off, uh, I guess, to rescue poor Lori. She wakes up inside a room and her friend is there dead and naked. She, of course, freaks out. Uh, but Michael, standing before her, ends up taking off his mask, throws it kind of the side, throws the knife down and kneels before her. She sees the knife and thinks it's an opportunity to maybe get the fuck out of there by sympathizing with poor Michael Myers. I want to help you. I just don't understand. I want to help you. I just don't know how. I want to help you. I don't understand. You motherfucker! So she stabs him and tries to get out of there, which eventually she does, because he did lock her into that uh, area where he's at, and locked her with Michael Myers. And in the beginning, he's trying to show her a picture, right? And it's a picture of him and her as young kids, but she doesn't recognize it because she doesn't know who she actually is in this film. And using that, she tries to reason with him and get away, stabs him, but of course this then turns him on her because she's trying to kill him. It's weird. You would think that maybe at this time, maybe he would try to say something um, or reason with her. Because all he really wanted was to be back with her. And now he can't. So I guess the point is, is that if we can't be together as brother and sister, I'm going to kill the living shit out of you. 
she's able to get away through a myriad of uh, breaking things down, crawling through things, but she gets stuck inside of a pool. Michael's coming after her, and then Loomis shows up to save the day. He fires a bunch of shots at Michael and ultimately takes him down. They go back to, I guess he stole a cop car, but though he ran off into the distance, uh, puts her in the passenger seat where Lori asks the ultimate question of the film. Was that the boogeyman? As a matter of fact, I do believe it was. So this causes Michael Myers to show up, bust through the window, and take poor Lori out of the car and back into the house. Loomis follows, and when he talks to Michael, tries to get her to stop and tries to convince her to let him go. not her fault. Michael, it's my fault. I failed you. Please let her go. Please. What's funny is before this, once Michael takes her, there's actually a small under the breath that was pretty low, but he goes, what the hell? And he has this, oh, for fuck's sake, look on his face when Michael should be dead and he's obviously not. Uh... You have Lori in the house. He's let her go. She runs and she finds a place to hide. And then Michael starts like gouging the eyes of Loomis until he drops down. And we believe that he's dead. In the house, Lori's finally learned how to be fucking quiet. Because before, when she was trying to escape, she just kept fucking yelling and everything. And now she's holding her voice. Uh, This is very similar to the closet scene from the original film. It's just a different rehash of it. And this time it's inside the the whole house. You've got, you know, she figures that she's probably hiding in the walls. So he starts busting in there, but she gets out in time. Uh, There's this weird sense that he has that he's able to kind of tell where she's going to be. He thinks that he figures out she's probably in the ceiling... So he's actually kind of smart and he starts just fucking tearing things down. And there's a lot of tension in this because you just see him just fuck up the ceiling. Everything's shaky. There's really shaky cam. Uh, and she ends up actually falling through, but she does fall into a different room. And uh, she finds the gun uh, that uh, Loomis was going to or did try to use on him. Uh, and when... She's in one room after she's been kind of fucked up. Michael sees her, and Michael starts bull rushing at her. He ends up bulldozing her out of the house and on off the second story balcony into the ground. Uh, they're both really beat up. She's completely bloodied in the face, and then uh, she gets on top of him with the gun and tries to fire a couple shots. Now, I'm going to play the whole way, because it's weird how it ends uh directly with her screaming uh and i'm gonna say that there's like the blood that's in her mouth is so heavy uh and it's a little jarring um but i'm gonna play the whole sequence and lead you to the title credits of the film
So that was Rob Zombie's first foray into the Halloween franchise. How did he do? Uh, well, you know, it's not terribly bad. It's doesn't really give an opening to a sequel, which is really weird. I mean, it basically kind of makes you feel that she blew his fucking head off, and that's basically the end of it. You I mean, you get to that point, Michael grabs her hand, kind of guides her to shoot him in the head, which she does, and that's the end of the film. Uh, so it's weird that there actually is a sequel to this movie that I just don't get. In general, the gore of this movie is a 3 out of 5. It's not terribly bloody. There is a lot of blood. But you don't see a lot of super, super gory things in this film. And it's kind of cool, kind of refreshing that some of the stuff is left to your imagination. Now, there is a lot of women being stabbed. And if that's something that you enjoy, you can enjoy it quite a bit in this film. But in general, it's about halfway. It's a 3 out of 5 on the fun factor. There's some really nice... Uh, set up shots in this film the acting isn't terrible I like Malcolm McDowell in this movie as Loomis I think he plays him very very well as being both concerned as well at the same time he also wants to fix the wrongs that he's done Uh, I could really care for Laurie Stroud she's basically like I said got Sherry Moon Zombie for the first half and then her for the second half. And they're both not in it a whole lot. The main focus on this is on Michael Myers. And you have, you know, a very well-casted young Michael Myers. And even our older Michael Myers, uh, I mean, doesn't do much. But he does look like a bigger, bulkier type of guy. Not just the tall killer that we've kind of all come to love. Uh... The crap factor, it's a 2 out of 5. It's not that crappy of the movie. It really just comes down to the verbal diarrhea that the characters fucking spit out. And the way that a lot of the scenes are set up. There's some times where they do the all quiet things are kind of going on. Uh, But then there's, like I said, with that one scene with the nurse, it's this blaring sign that ruins the whole fucking experience. So... Your mileage may vary with this film. Uh, If you've never seen it before, I would definitely give it a try. Uh, Watch it. Um, You may be disturbed. The unrated version might be a little bit worse than the standard theatrical version. Uh, But I still enjoy this movie, to be honest with you. So overall, this is a... uh, For me, it's three out of five throat slashings. Uh, Like I said, I recommend it. And uh, I think everybody should at least check it out once. And it's not a bad interpretation of the original film. It's just a little too long and a little too long-winded in the beginning of the movie. Like I said, it's not until about an hour into the movie that the true Halloween movie actually starts. So we're going to take a quick break right now. And the way that it's going to work is uh, going to play you a little something. And then it's going to start the Halloween 2 music with the moment that the commercial ends. And we'll go right into the Halloween 2 review. So uh, hope you stick around. Hope you enjoyed the original review. Now we're going to take just a tiny break. See you in a bit. Hey everyone, I hope that you're enjoying this double review of Rob Zombie's Halloween and Halloween 2. Uh, it was a lot of fun to go through, well, for the most part, uh, but definitely to talk about and critique. 
Uh, and I thank everybody for listening to our Madness of October here in October of 2016. And we'll go back to our normally scheduled uh, podcast as uh, the rest of the year goes on. Uh, I do want to say, uh, if you have not, please check out the band that's in the background here. It's Captain Clegg and the Night Creatures, or the Night Monsters. Oh, no, Night Creatures. I was right the first time. And they're actually featured in Halloween 2. Now, I know what you think. Oh, these guys, they were made for the movie. I actually saw them live with Rob Zombie, and it's fun, horribly stuff. It's cheesy, but I very enjoy it. I much enjoy it, I should say. So, without further ado, little break's going to be done in just a second, but go ahead and get ready for <laughs> the fun that is Halloween 2. Uh, talk to you guys in a sec. White Horse, linked to instinct, purity, and the drive of the physical body to release powerful and emotional forces, like rage with ensuing chaos and destruction. We are into the thick of the shit. This is Halloween 2, and it's kind of difficult, especially since it truly does take place right after Halloween. Uh, the only thing that we get that's kind of weird is, uh, I shouldn't say directly because we do get a little interaction between Michael and his mom when he was in the asylum. Do you like your present? Yeah. What's wrong, Michael? It reminds me of something. What? What does it remind you of? A dream that I had last night. What kind of dream? Was it a good dream or was it a bad dream? It was a good dream. A really good dream. You were dressed in all white. Like a ghost. Like a really beautiful ghost. You were walking down this white hallway with this big white horse saying you were going to come and take me back home. Mm. Wish I could take you home, honey. I miss you there. I miss you too. Mm. Whenever you look at the horse, you can think of mommy, okay? Okay. So there's a couple things that you're going to notice right away at the beginning of this film. And the main one is, that's not the same little kid from the first movie. See, this really was only filmed about a year or two later. I mean, the first one came out in 2007. So I'm assuming that like 2008, uh, this was filmed. And it was funny because it actually was released, both of them were released in August of their respective years. So... The role of Michael, uh, the kid that played him originally, he was basically too old. I mean, only two years doesn't do a lot, but the way that he grew uh, and how he grew out of his, uh, let's say, character uh, allowed him to be excused from this movie. So instead, we have a brand new Michael Myers who doesn't really match up. To the original. And it's funny because I know that there were some promos with the kid when you'd see some of the earlier trailers that were cut and stuff. But according to Rob, uh, that was just test footage and should have never been incorporated in any type of trailer. 
The other thing that you're going to notice, and especially when it comes to uh, the characters of this film, is that everybody acts completely different from the first film. I mean, seriously. Like, you have Sherry here, and she's a lot more reserved, and she's more of the wispy type character, because, spoiler alert, she's a ghost for the whole fucking movie, and she pops up. No fucking reason for her to, but she pops up anyway in multiple scenes, but she doesn't have to really... uh, I guess the word I'm looking for is act. So, she's not terrible compared to her first role where I thought she was pretty awful and annoying because she actually had to kind of act like a uh, bitchy type of mom or, you know, that type of... I'm, I'm not really sure where to put it. But here, she has to act more like an apparition, a spirit. So she's very wispy in the way that she talks and she has very limited lines and scenes and it's really stupid. Uh, But I'm getting way ahead of myself here. The other thing that we need to kind of look at here is the whole white horse thing. Uh, I mean, I don't quite get it i understand it's kind of the connecting thing that gets them connects the family together because it's the driving force that brings them all together everybody experiences it and everybody sees it some point in their life he's physically given a white horse in this scene by his mom uh whereas we'll you know look at some other things that happens with Lori later on and then the whole actual representation of it within the ghost world uh it's something I just... It's some type of, like, psychic... Not psychic, but... Uh, psychological mumbo-jumbo that he's trying to use to connect everything together. And uh, that's something that kind of just falls flat on its face. So, from this point, we actually get the title card of Halloween 2. And it's done in the same style that Halloween was done. There's a lot of the same things to make you really feel like this is a perfect continuity of the first film. Uh, But it kind of throws itself out the window, and I'll kind of tell you when. Uh, So we see Lori again, and she's walking along the streets, and it's directly after she's shot Michael in the face. Uh, And uh, so as she's walking around, she runs into the sheriff. Lori? Lori, is that you? Lori? Lori? Stop, 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 sweetie. Stop. Stop. It's Sheriff Brackett. Lori, give me the gun. That's it. Just give me the gun. That's easy, easy, sweetie, easy. Then we face over to her being uh, dragged through the halls of the hospital and she's screaming like crazy. I would be probably screaming and freaked out too if what I just experienced, uh, you know, I had a t- that moment to just process everything. So it's kind of an interesting and uh, I would say kind of a good scene. It's a little annoying just because of the way that she does her screams and everything. She doesn't really shut the fuck up. Uh, even to calm down just a bit, and it goes on a little bit too long. 
but it's not bad, and we're at a decent start to the movie so far. We haven't quite gone off the rails just yet. So she's going through the hallways. We see that Loomis uh, has possibly survived as well. And we kind of knew at the end of the movie that he did, but we weren't 100% sure because he, even though he grabbed onto Michael's legs to try to stop him, uh, he kind of fell down at the end of that. But Michael just said, fuck you, I want to go after Lori, and that's it. So we then cut over and we see the doctors, they start to work on Lori and talk about what exactly happened with her. What the hell happened to this kid anyway? I don't know. I thought it was car accident. I'm very confused. Well, at least neurosurgery cleared her head. They don't have to do anything with that. Right. She's going to need plastics, but that's the least of her worries right now. Now, this is like the surgery basically to patch her up from what she's experienced. And it's actually pretty gruesome. The way that they're sewing up the skin, the cuts are really deep and just kind of oozing out blood. It's not like it's rushing really fast, but it's like just overtly kind of done. Uh, And it's a little too much, I think, even for me personally. Uh, It's never so bad when it comes down to something that's like fake. Like when, you know, a killer kills somebody and you know that that's not real. But when it's like surgical stuff, I get a little squeamish, uh, especially when they show them actually kind of like sewing the skin together and stuff like that. It, it's a little too much for me. But it's good use of the makeup and what they're doing with the scene. We cut back over to the police officer, and he's getting the guys ready to get Michael pulled out from the backyard. And I have to wonder at this point, I know this is a sequel, And it's weird, but how does Michael Myers exactly survive a gunshot to the head? It makes almost no sense. I mean, like I said at the end of the last review, it really didn't open itself up to be sequelized. In my perfect opinion, you know, well, perfect. Uh, My honest opinion, I'm not perfect. Uh, But, (laughs) so it's... I mean, she literally, with the way that it looks and the whole thing, is from the ending of the first one, she holds the gun basically up to his head. He kind of pulls it in the right direction. She pulls the trigger and blows his head off. Of course, there is the cut to black, so we don't know what exactly happened here. But they are trying to get all the guys together and take Michael's body and take him to the morgue. Uh, Our cop friend, the sheriff here, who's Annie's father... He tells the two guys that are going to be transporting the body that they need to actually be careful because he knows what's up. When the boys get them over to county, just make sure that they lock the place up tight. I don't want any surprises until I get there in the morning. No problem. My first sight, I'd say, of course, death is fairly obvious. I'd say that there's nothing obvious about anything that happened here tonight. Not a goddamn thing. So we follow these two guys guys driving michael myers back to i guess a morgue uh is probably the best place that they're going to and we get a a little insight into each of their character and this is a common problem in this movie this one i'm not gonna lie to you it was really hard to watch the first one i could go through it it was great i had a lot of great moments within it and i could look past some of the negative it's hard with this one to get past some of the negative stuff. 
And some of it are pointless fucking scenes where we could have cut out 10 minutes of dialogue. And, and I'm probably being, you know, a little overly aggressive with that number right there. But honestly, we could cut out a bunch of dialogue in this movie and a bunch of scenes in this movie. And, and we could have a shorter film and have a more focused film where this thing just doesn't seem to be focused. There's also one point in the movie where uh, I'll get to it, but it really kind of pisses me off of where that it, it decided to go. So you have to listen to, in this scene, the fucking creeps that are driving the goddamn little van. You gotta look at the naked chick. Man, she was F-I-N-E-5. <laughs> yeah, she still looked fresh. <laughs> yeah. I heard a story about a couple of meat wagon boys fucking corpses over in Essex. I ain't never had the urge till tonight. Oh, whoa, hey, 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 whoa, whoa, come on. Racket even thinks he has you joking about that and then you're out of here on your ass. I would never do it. Huh? I'm just saying. She still look good to me. Nice old titties are hanging out, huh? Come on, that's disgusting. Stop it now. I got wood just ziplocking her up. Stop. Shut up. Please. Same. See, it's little scenes like this, and this is just a 45-second clip of the entire scene until it leads up to the ultimate of them hitting a cow and fucking killing themselves, basically. Well, the driver killing himself because he's not paying attention, and the passenger barely surviving until Michael Myers, somehow by hitting a fucking cow, brings him back to life. This is just as bad as in Nightmare on Elm Street 4, where the dog fucking pisses on Freddy's grave and brings him back. At least there was urine involved in that one. This one, it takes the obliteration of a whole fucking cow to bring Michael Myers back from the dead. It's like his heart gets restarted because the accident happened or some stupid shit like that. But before that even happens, we have to listen to this type of interaction in between these characters and... I just don't know why you have to put this in here. It makes no sense. It adds nothing to the story. Are you just killing these people off? You're trying to show them as more of an immoral person uh, so that it's okay that Michael Myers kills them? But it's not even Michael Myers. Unless Michael Myers' soul happened to go into that fucking cow and is like, yeah, I'm going to position myself right here. They're going to hit it, and then I'm going to jump right back into my body, and booyah, I'm back, baby. Um... <laughs> it's it just makes no sense to me like the, what is the reason behind these types of scenes there's a couple of these in here which I, this is the only one that i'm truly going to play for you guys because the other scenes i i want to grab some of the dialogue but it's just so pointless to the fucking story that is pretty pointless in itself that i just don't want to do that I don't want to extend things and put things here that have really no relevance to what's going on. This piece of dialogue is one of them. We don't need to know all he's doing is he's talking about the one dead chick, which happens to be Linda, I believe, from the first film. And she's the one that's completely dead that was killed. You know, because Annie did survive, and but barely. And we really had no other dead chicks, so that's the only person we can think of. 
And he's so grimy, and there's these close-ups of his fucking face. He's talking, and it's just his mouth. And you're right on there with those nasty fucking teeth. And he's spitting fucking verbal diarrhea out of his mouth. And here, this is what you have to watch. This is what you're being forced to fucking watch. Why do we need that shot? Why do we need this scene? Why do we need that dialogue? That's all I'm saying. So... In a way, the cow does help Michael Myers back on his feet. Uh, and then the guy in the front seat, he starts asking him because he's basically really beat up and trapped inside uh, part of the... I guess it's an ambulance more than a van. Uh, and he's asking for help. But of course he's asking for Michael Myers, so he gives him the best help possible and fucking offs him. Uh, now, again, here the horse shows up. And... I guess when Michael was a kid, he also had special powers that later on in life, he'd go fucking crazy, and he'd see his mom in a fucking white horse, and here they fucking are, and they want to be a fucking happy family. From that, we cut over to the hospital where Lori is, and honestly, I was about to jump myself way forward, because this goes on for quite a bit, and uh, I'll talk about it at the end of this, because... This is probably one of the things that pissed me off the most. Um, so we go and on the TV, at least it's good music. It's uh, Nights in White Satin by the Moody Blues. It's playing on the background. And Lori wakes up and uh, takes a lot of the crap that's off of her and stumbles over to Annie's room to see if she's okay. There's a scene with a sassy black nurse. Um, I know the actress. I just can't put my fucking finger on who exactly she is but she always plays similar type of characters in films uh well she goes over she tells her well you can't wait on her you need to go back to your room uh then the nurse gets called away when Lori goes in the hallway all of a sudden things start going wrong there's a the sequences here that happen this is probably some of the best shot stuff in the film and really f- makes you feel like the original halloween so you have him Uh, Jason, I want to say Jason, but it's Michael Myers, shows up. And really, honestly, the way that it's portrayed, I almost feel like this is a Jason type of character, not a Michael Myers character, um, with how he keeps coming back, how he survives stuff, and how he just, you know, figures out how to resurrect himself with a cow. Uh, but anyway, so Michael Myers, uh, has killed the nurse. Uh, I thought there was going to be a cool, like, scene, because she turns around in the hallway and then... She's, like, bleeding, and it looks like there's, like, a slit in her face. Maybe that's where... Maybe she got stabbed in the face. But I really thought that maybe she had, like, cut down, like, her head would, like, split open. Uh, which would have been really cool. But the look on the nurse's face is pure fear and pure horror. And I really like the way... It's sad to say. It's weird to say, actually. Not necessarily sad. But I like the way she died. I like the way the whole thing was handled. It was pretty cool until she got stabbed again 15 fucking times. Uh, Just like every other woman in a Rob Zombie, at least in these two Halloween films, where they get tortured the most out of every fucking character in the film. Well, instead of every male character in the film, I should say. So, uh, Lori, she's running away, and she's trying to get... and, And what I also should say is that when Michael starts killing, the Moody Blue starts up again. And... It's a kind of a throwback to the first film where you had uh, Blue Oyster Cults Don't Fear the Reaper both times when he was a kid and when he was older. 
and then here you've got the Moody Blues, but it's not quite in the same thing, but it's uh, it's a similar vein, right? That he basically doesn't start his mayhem until that piece of music starts playing. So she starts running away, and there's already a lot of stumbling going on. Uh, she gets outside, and she grabs onto like a ledge. And at first, I thought it was just water, but it turns out that it's blood that she's slipping on, and she falls into a random pit of what looks like body parts or bodies. And, you know, at this point, when I was watching the film, I really thought, uh, I hope this isn't a dream sequence. I'm going to be very upset if this is actually a dream sequence. But I continued on because I was like, all right, let's see what could possibly happen here. Michael Myers here is also upgraded from his standard slashy slashy knife to a axe that he found on the wall. Fireman's axe to be exact. Uh, and he's still chasing along and still being that supernatural force of nature that cannot be stopped. Lori's able to get away from the pit of bodies, and she finds some Wilford Brimley-looking motherfucker uh, that helps her. He's going to help her try to get out of there. He's going to bring his car. And there's actually a cool kill with him, similar to the one in the first film where the cop went against the door and the blood splattered. Uh, and you kind of get faked out because you think that maybe Michael Myers is just going to come back. But it turns out he comes back to kill the guy right before the guy is able to take her out of there with the car. He locks her in there uh, before he dies, and then Michael paces around the little security thing that's there, and ultimately starts breaking down the walls of this thing. So, you're telling me that he's okay to break down wooden walls, right? Because that's all this is, a little wooden shack, but it's got a steel door. He can't do anything near or by the door, he has to destroy all sorts of other parts of this shack. And when he does, like, Lori, she doesn't run for the door to try to run and escape. She just sits there while everything's going around. And then all of a sudden, ah, fuck. You gotta be fucking kidding me. It's a fucking dream. Do you know how much time I'm wasting on watching this fucking bullshit that was going on right here? This is probably some of the best parts of the fucking movie. Why would you go away from this? It makes no fucking sense. You can have her escape. You can have her somehow get away and get far away. Take that car. Go to another town. Start building her life. And Michael Myers somehow finds her. And that's your movie. But no. No, you have to go and say that this is all just a nightmare in her fucking head. Because she wakes up the next morning, and then she's fucking screaming and everything like that. And she's living in some house, and her room looks like it's fucking young Michael's fucking room. Ah, oh, fuck. Uh, uh, this sucks. This really does. Uh, I don't want to get ahead of myself again, so let's move on, shall we? But I, I can't, I can't move on from this fucking moment, okay? Because you have such a well-crafted sequence of things, and it's not like it's only two minutes like she was lying in the bed and 
was calling for the nurse and instead all of a sudden Michael Myers showed up and Michael Myers stabbed her and then she woke up. Look, I just saved you 20 fucking minutes of the movie. It's 15 to 20 fucking minutes of this movie that is this hospital sequence. It's pointless. If you make it a fucking dream, it's fucking pointless. It has no merit on the rest of the fucking movie. You have to understand this. I, I just, what goes through your mind when you say, hey, I'm going to put this whole sequence in here because I think it, you're trying to establish something within her head, but she could have been, she could have gotten that with a fucking two minute sequence. Wake up. Oh my God. Where am I? Oh, nurse. I really need some help. You're not the nurse. Oh, shit. It's Michael Myers. Stabby, stab, 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 stab. Wake up. Oh, my God. I'm still having nightmares about Michael Myers. So that's what that 15 minutes was. That 15 to 20 minutes was what I just explained in about a minute. Maybe less than that. That's all it fucking is. And we don't need to have that much time focused on this shit. (sighs) Okay. Moving on promise to move on so now we get to see that she's living with annie and the sh- and her father the sheriff and they're just kind of one big happy family i'm running ragged this morning good morning running, running ragged. good morning did you hear Lori last night yes dad i hear her every night please god don't say anything to her oh want some egg whites oh uh, no I think I'm going to get me one of them sticky buns on the way in. Oh, that's great. Pastry for breakfast. Seriously, 500 calories of sugar and shit. I know it. I know it. Morning. Morning, Morning sunshine. You got two dogs. Hey, slow your roll for one second. Please do not forget to pick up the pizza and whole wheat crust. God, Annie. Why don't we just have them take the cheese and put it on cardboard? I mean, cardboard's got a lot of fiber. No meat. So, okay, there's a couple things going on here, and there's something that does pop up again with Mr. Zombie's uh, veganism, where they talk about, and it's during another sequence on a, uh, a dinner table, why, you know, can't eat meat because blah, 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 and I have to because it's an animal instinct, and yada, yada, yada. I, I don't need to have a, uh, you know... <sighs> a sermon about veganism or vegetarianism in a horror movie. So you could leave that piece of dialogue right the fuck out of this movie, okay? Uh, and there's conversation back and forth between Annie and her, and it doesn't really seem like Annie was that much of a victim other than the fact that she's got a tons of uh, scars uh, along her face and her body, and then there's the scars of all the parts where... Uh, poor Lori was stitched up and everything but they're very minor when you look at them sometimes they don't even seem like they're there and other times they're pretty prevalent so uh good job makeup team good job and honestly this was a 15 million dollar budget film so some things i get some things i don't but be consistent with your makeup all i'm saying so now Lori and the sheriff and annie seem to live in the middle of nowhere still outside of haddonfield but it's not in the central area or anywhere near their house. And, of course, we're also getting closer to Halloween because it's the namesake of the movie, right? We then go and uh, see as Lori is starting her day 
and she begins uh, talking with her psychiatrist. I know, I just, I, I wake up and I, I feel like I can't even breathe. Mm-hmm. It just seems to be getting worse. I'm, I'm concerned, but, uh, gosh, I can't say that I'm surprised. I mean, it's Halloween, and Halloween is a big trigger point for you, isn't it? Barbara, I know Michael Myers is dead. I shot him in the fucking head. I know he's not going to come back just because of some stupid holiday. Lori, they never found his body. So? So it's very hard for you to get closure on this. I mean, he's objectively dead, but he's living in your mind and he's living in your heart and your emotions. So that's the reality that we have to heal you from, which is why I say you're still in recovery. So basically, I just have to wait until my brain heals. So my first thought when watching the scene was, is that Carrie Fisher? Because, like, from far away, she's got the same type of, like, little lisp that Carrie Fisher does. But turns out, no, we're not that lucky. We don't get to see her in this film. Uh, but kind of going through the whole thing, and I mean, it's weird that she, the doctor herself, would bring up the fact that, oh, they never found the body. I mean, I, I get the fact that she's talking to her and trying to say, well, this is why you're probably thinking this in your head. You know, you, you're saying that he's dead. But, you know, in the back of your mind, there's always the possibility that he's actually still alive. And I get it. Uh, It's weird. Uh, Not necessarily weird. That's not the word that I should be using here. Uh, It's poignant. It's the right process to kind of go through if you were a psychiatrist and you were trying to figure out exactly maybe what was kind of driving her to have these types of nightmares and thoughts. Uh, but at the same time, you think if that was such a big trigger for her, maybe you don't want to keep bringing up and keep maybe reminding her. Maybe she wasn't even really thinking about it. Like, you know, she was sitting there and she's just like, I just don't know why I keep having these dreams. Well, maybe it's because Michael Myers is going to come back and, you know, they didn't find the body. I didn't even think about it. Oh, okay. Well, forget. Yet I said anything about that. What do you think about this painting on the back of the wall? Why I see white horse. Ah, fuck. <laughs> There's that goddamn horse again. But even before they see the horses, she talks about the guilt that she feels with Annie. I feel kind of shitty by saying this, but she's a constant reminder. And every time I see her face and I see those scars, I know that it's my fault. And, and, and I, get, I get angry, and there's something in my body that, that snaps, and I get this zero to a hundred rage, and I just want to go up to her, and I just want to... Fuck it. Okay, finish the thought. Finish, finish that thought, it's really important. No, I'd rather not. Uh, you'll send me away. I would never send you away. We're here to keep you out of the hospital. The last place you're going to heal is in a hospital. And it's kind of weird how she kind of molds over to that like well we're not going to send you to the hospital and the way that Lori is now acting it's very much like michael was acting in the first film oh god damn it uh 
okay, let's just keep going on moving in here. And she doesn't want to be put into a hospital situation. And unlike Dr. Loomis, she, th- this doctor does not want to put her into any type of psychiatric care because she thinks that she can just go through it. But we did see earlier on that she's kind of a pill popper, and I'm assuming that those pills are something to help her deal with the anxiety and the different thoughts that she has surrounding her, uh, unknowns to her, brother. So we go from Lori after she finishes whatever she's talking about with her doctor, and we get to meet Dr. Loomis once again, who happens to be alive. Great, wonderful, but the character has changed so much that it's not the same Loomis that we saw in the last movie. In fact, Dr. Loomis, eh, he's kind of a dick. Look at this. It's the wrong photograph. I mean, this is old Loomis. This is new. Old Loomis increases sales by 25%, okay? Well, I'm not going in there until you go get me a cup of PG chips with a splash of milk, and I want it sizzling hot. PG what? Tea? We don't have time. See, he's writing a brand new book, and he already had written the one about Michael Myers, but now he's writing another one about him, and his experiences at the end of basically kind of saving the day with Laurie, uh, and also how Michael was stopped and, and more into his psyche and everything like that, basically trying to cash in more and become famous uh, yet again. So, Malcolm McDowell plays the role of this very ham-fisted uh it's very over the top like it was a little subdued maybe a little over the top in halloween one in certain scenes a little awkward or rigid but here it's like total like who gives a fuck and this is a concurrent story that's running on alongside the lori story so we wasted our first you know 30 minutes of the film with some other random bullshit and now we're gonna waste the rest of our film doing a Loomis story and doing a Laurie story and them somehow coming together at the end and wrapping up in a nice little package with a nice tight bow on the top of it also mixing some Michael Myers action in between uh, all these scenes of these two running concurrent but separate we get to see Lori at her job, wherever she's in. We get to introduce to two characters, Maya and Holly. Uh, Harley, I should say, not Holly. Uh, and her boss, who spouts some hipster bullshit, walks away. And they talk about going to something called the Phantom Jam, which I guess is a party on Halloween night. And they were all going to dress up. And you need to dress up, too. No, I don't want to wear that slutty stuff. Well, you're never going to get a boyfriend if you don't wear the slutty stuff. Well, okay, I guess I'm going to have to wear the slutty stuff. I don't know if I really want to go to the Phantom Jam after all. Uh, yeah, so that's basically your scene right now. Oh, then let's dance. Put the music on. Dance it. Or whatever the fuck the music was that they were playing. But that's basically the scene. And yet again, another scene that could have just been dropped on the fucking cutting room floor. And we could have moved along. Uh, we cut back over to Dr. Loomis. And he's giving a press conference that is leading towards announcement of his new book. Michael, I'm sorry to tell you this, but your mother has passed away. She'll be back. No, I'm afraid she won't be coming to see you anymore. 
I'll see her again, but I won't see you. Ladies and gentlemen, Dr. Samuel Loomis, author of The Devil Walks Among Us in stores October 31st. Thank you all and welcome. I think you can all see quite clearly here that Michael's psychotic perception is in complete denial about his own mother's suicide. Freud would certainly have a field day with that little one, wouldn't he? <laughs> so, it is the fate of all of us to direct our first sexual impulses towards our mothers and our first murderous hatred against our fathers. Now, in Michael's case, I became the surrogate father, the last father in a long series of fathers. Well, um, has anybody got any questions at all? Okay. Yes, sir. Yes, please. Um, you never really made it clear whether you believe it was nurture or nature that contributed to Michael's condition. I would like to answer it in part by quoting the great George Bernard Shaw with a little Loomis twist at the end. He says, in the arts of life, man invents nothing. But in the arts of death, he outdoes nature herself and produces by chemistry and machinery all the slaughter of plague, pestilence, famine, and Michael Myers. <laughs> so Dr. Loomis, he keeps going on about Michael Myers and fielding questions from the rest of the crowd. One of the journalists stands up and asks about the 15 people that were... 15? Really? It was only 15? Felt like it was a lot more, didn't it? Uh, well, the 15 people that were killed by Michael and if he feels any regret about it. And whether or not, uh, you know, he's going to strike again. Which causes Loomis to get pretty upset and for him to state that Michael Myers is fucking dead and I don't want anything else to deal with this. Uh, but as we all know, Michael Myers, he ain't fucking dead. We do cut back over to Michael and he's having ghost mom dreams again. Uh, but this time, the little kid in him is actually able to carry on the conversation for him. Okay, see how stupid this sounds? Oh, uh, uh, but anyway, so he talks to Ghost Mom. Michael. Halloween is coming. You have to get ready. We are counting on you to bring us home this year. I won't let you down. I know you won't, baby. I love you, Mama. I love you too, Michael. Again, this is something that... It's something that ruins your first film, okay? I am going to go into it at the end of everything. Of what's wrong with this movie. But it does... Like, this, this little bit doesn't need to be there. And then you're like... You're mentioning Halloween. Oh, look, she said the title of the film and what's going to go on. Yay, it's going to happen at Halloween. And you're going to bring us home? You're going to bring us together? Like, is it something just to maybe like end the family line? Is it something to bring the family line together? Is it to turn Lori over into the dark side and she's going to become fucking Darth Vader at the end of this film and start fucking killing Jedi? Who fucking knows? It's just... Uh, they're just scenes that they're to give more 
backstory that we don't fucking need that we had in the first film. Like, his true motivation is something to do now with bringing the family together. Where in the first one, it just seemed like he wanted to get back to his sister because that was the thing he knew and that was the thing that he truly cherished in his connection to the outside world. But then when she turned on him, he turned on her. Now here, it's Mama wants us to be whole again, so I'm going to do what Mama wants. And then we get the scene with the Michael Myers fodder. We get him walking in a field, a bunch of hillbilly truckers pop up. Uh, the lady that's in the car, she tells him, oh, just leave him alone. He's just a hobo. While the other two decide, we're going to go rough him up because Dr. Better do brings around here. And you can tell what's going to happen to one of them because there's antlers on the front of the fucking truck. And somebody's going to go through that fucking thing. So they try to beat the shit out of Michael Myers. Kind of does it. He puts the goddamn mask on, which gives him the ultimate killer powers. Uh... (laughs) And then proceeds to slaughter both of these guys, impaling the father on the truck, and again, taking his time with the female victim. Again, uh, you can also guess that something else that was a big trope in the last movie is going to pop up again, but it's not popping up just yet. So... After we get out of these uh, this easy fodder, we get some Michael Myers kills to further our bloodlust to show us, yes, we're in a horror movie and not a psychological thriller. Um, we go back to them sitting around the table and talking, you know, this is where we get that veganism type of comment. They talk about what the origin of Starvin' Marvin was, but nobody fucking pinpoints it to South Park because, well... I think this is supposed to take time at a place. This all of a sudden makes no sense to me. I'm sorry. I'm just having like a little revelation during the middle of the episode. But the first one seemed like it took place actually during the time frame. Like they tried to make it during the 80s. At least the feel. It was a little more modern with some of the things. But really everything kind of felt like you could have kept it in that place because they didn't use cell phones everything was still landlines and and that now here everybody's fucking using cell phones and going through more modern times and like well what place if this still took a place a year later how all of a sudden do we have this really nice fucking cell phone that dr loomis uses when nobody used anything like that which would have been prevalent in the last film sorry just something I'm thinking about when I started talking about Starvin' Marvin in South Park, because that's where it was, where they tried to relate it to Lee Marvin, uh, you know, from Gonna Paint Your Wagon. Gonna paint your wagon, gonna paint it fine, gonna use oil bay paint, because the wood is pine. Okay, well, Simpsons love here, come on. Uh, but really, it's just a weird, another conversation that is just extra verbal diarrhea for Rob to spout out to be like, I think this is really interesting. I think we should talk about it instead of, hey, how about I ditch this portion of the film so we could just move it the fuck along and make it more cohesive. I know they're trying to show the dynamic of the family, but you already did one scene with everybody and you really need to do the second scene. Uh, especially how things break down later on during this scene too we also cut back to michael myers with a dog uh they had a dog in the back of that truck and at first i was like nah he wouldn't and then like oh i guess he's going to as much of a fan of PETA you are why do you need to show michael myers eating the heart of a dog uh 
Come on, you're giving me fucking veggie-like sermons back here, and now you're okay with him eating the soul of a fucking dog. Make up your mind, Rob. Make up your mind. What's kind of weird about what happens with this, too, is that while he's eating the dog, it's like Lori has a sixth sense or some type of tie back to Michael's emotions, and she's able to, like, taste the dog that he's eating because she starts like getting ready to throw up they think it's something to do with the pizza but really it's because he's eating meat and she doesn't eat fucking meat uh then we get to have another fucking trip to ghost mom world where have you been i've been waiting you know i can't come here anymore my time here is over you're here now michael you know i'm not really here I want to show you something. All right. So what he shows her is this room. And there's a table. And there's a bunch of fucking pumpkin people behind the fucking table. What the fuck is this bullshit? The the fucking makeup of the pumpkin things are cool because they're kind of weird and funky. One kind of looks like the season of the witch pumpkins when they shrunk around the kids' heads and they were like devouring their heads. You know, that type of thing. Uh, and it's kind of a nod back to, you know, that version of Halloween. But what the fuck is this? They're all sitting around the table. They're all getting ready. And then in the middle of the table, there's Lori. And then she starts getting devoured by the pumpkin people. I guess they're pumpkin people eaters. Huh. But that wakes her up and it's time for the next act. We see Michael and he's walking back into town. We see him uh, kind of a long shot. And then we cut over to Dr. Loomis And he's in town as well because he's trying to promote his book. And one of the ways that he's trying to promote his book is by talking with the news in front of the house where all the shit went down. So, Dr. Loomis, tell me, how long do you plan on staying in town? Please, Sam. (laughs) Thank you. Well, I I could stay a few extra days. It depends on if there's something or someone that motivated me. Excuse me, Dr. Loomis. Can I I speak to you for a second, please? What? Please. Excuse me, my dear. It won't be one second. What? Okay, I am all for selling books, all right? God knows I've done some things that I'm not proud of. This is disgusting. I did not agree to this backdrop. I mean, what's next? Heading over to the cemetery and dancing on the victim's graves? <sighs> Look, I don't think you quite understand what I'm trying to accomplish here. Well, fair enough. I don't. Please explain it to me. I would really like to understand. I'm selling the sizzle, not the steak. The sizzle? Yes. The sizzle. Mm-hmm. It's bad taste is what it is, okay? And it's just going to add fuel to the lynch mob fire. Bad taste? Bad taste? God, it's business, woman! Business! Besides, bad taste is the petrol that drives the American dream. Well, I think it's a mistake. Oh, yeah, you do, do you? Yes. Well, when I want your opinion, I'll beat it out of you. So... There's Dr. Loomis being a fucking asshole once again. I just don't like the way they did the character this time. Like, I understand that they're trying to get him all about the money and about the books and about the fame, but really, I don't need to see it. I mean, it's a whole point of the story that maybe I don't need in this movie. And 
it's a totally different way of playing that character other than being out there and maybe being like a warning for people he's just all about that fucking skrill dollar dollar bill y'all you know uh, let me make that cash and uh it's just it doesn't sit right with me especially at the end when he says get in the car i'm gonna fucking beat you woman like really he wouldn't have been like that in the first movie what made him this way now there isn't anything to show you that because he wasn't like this before unless he's just another side of michael that we're trying to show and and basically kind of michael's influence upon that character has really taken his toll as has it taken it on laurie as well so we jump from this scene back to Lori about to go take a bath or a shower or something and then she kind of like starts closing her eyes and we go it it looks like a flashback and originally i thought it was i thought it was a flashback directly to uh the first time that michael killed in the very first halloween but turns out that it's actually a part of this one uh and it starts with fucking candy corn there's that fucking candy corn again he's eating it he's getting ready now he's going downstairs and he starts taping up annie and that's where i thought it was actually the first film because i thought they were just replaying those scenes and like she was experiencing it but all of a sudden when she goes well i shouldn't say she but when michael goes and slits her throat she goes fucking crazy So she goes crazy while uh, Annie's basically being killed. And this is kind of those that weird little temper tantrums that Michael used to have. But now she's kind of like in his body and there's a weird connection that's going on there that it's... It'd be one thing... See, this is one of those things in this film that, like, I feel that there's just, even though it's a continuation of the story and it's supposed to happen right after the first one does, this doesn't feel like a continuation for me. This feels like we're going to add stuff that I forgot to do in the last movie, and this is one of those things, and a connection to the family, where there was none of that before, but all of a sudden, since she had contact with Michael Myers, now all of a sudden she's basically thinking that she's like him, or she's showing the Myers side in herself. But it wasn't everybody in the family that was with this way, unless for some reason, dear old mom was a fucking killer too. Maybe she killed the people that she stripped for. You never knew, you never saw it, but it's not something that's really explained. Even though she felt regret and she killed herself because her son was this way, but her ghost is like, you need to fucking kill people. Ugh. I just... I... I... I don't really fucking get it at all when it comes to these things in this film so Lori decides the next morning that she's gonna go back and talk to her shrink she first starts describing this really weird like day that she's had where she runs into some frankenstein guy and he's talking wrong to the kids but giving them popcorn and being really nice and then there's some other lady and ultimately her shrink kind of asks her to calm down come on Lori. Stay centered. What's going on? <laughs> I had this really, really, really 
crazy attack and not while I was asleep. While I was awake. Look, I, oh. ju I just need you to prescribe me something, please. Lori, according to my notes, you should have a lot of medication. I don't. I'm, I'm out. Look, I need you to get your magic pen and your magic no, piece of paper, well, and I need you to write me up a prescription, please. Lori, that's not the answer. Are you doing your breathing exercises? Breathing right? exercises? Yes, it helps. Breathing exercises help, aren't going to cut it. Like, I can't deal with this. Oh, I'm not honey, strong enough, and I'm tired of pretending that I am. Look. Lori, listen to me. Stay with me. You are so much stronger than you think you are. You are. Now, come on. Sit down. Sit down. Better fucking let me go I, and give me some fucking prescription. I'm going to give you some Haldol to tide you over. Haldol? Yes, Haldol. It'll take some of these thoughts away. I and don't want Haldol. I want my prescription. Oh, I'm so sorry you're going through this. Fuck you. Know what? Fuck you and fuck this. I'm tired of your, how are you, Lori? I'm so concerned at a hundred bucks an hour. You know what? I would be fucking concerned at a hundred bucks an hour. I'm really concerned right bullshit, now. No, it's bullshit. not bullshit. You know what? Please, You're more fucked up than I am, you crazy bitch. So the true self is kind of coming out of her, or at least the psyche that's inside of her, is coming to the forefront now. She's starting to slowly lose herself, She's starting to just lash out out of anger, and the suppression from the medication is probably what's affecting her. Now, this could be some type of social commentary on the fact that she can't function normally without that. And really, because of the traumatic experience that she had, instead of trying to overcome it, she's allowing it to consume herself, and she's actually leaning towards her quote-unquote dark side and... The only way that she can get out of it is by taking those pills. And when she won't get them, she acts like Michael did in the first film to uh, Dr. Loomis, right? When he started just lashing out at Dr. Loomis in the same exact way. So we have a character that's kind of being built to the same end, which is kind of... Eh. It's it's interesting. I should say that part of it's kind of interesting, but it's still in the context of the way things go doesn't really mash up as a continuation of the entire story of the first film. There's some long shots of Michael walking around the town or coming into the town, and then there's some scenes with Loomis again where he's kind of being a dick. Uh, again, it's a little bit too much for me, and I kind of just pass over it. Uh, then we go back to the home, and we have Annie and Lori talking. And Lori is kind of starting to get sick of everything. Well, again, like I talked about before, the, the inner self is kind of coming out. And so the honeymoon between Annie and her is actually over. Whatever. You know what, Annie? I don't need your shit. You don't need my shit? You don't need my shit? I put up with your shit 24-7. You better back the fuck off. Or what? Huh? The fuck are you going to do? You know what? You act like you're the only one whose life got fucking trashed. I am so not buying the new Lori act. I'm not putting up with your mommy's shit. Get the fuck out of my room. Get the fuck out of my room. I'm not. So, 
she goes away and then we cut over to another pointless scene of idiots we go to the strip club that ghost mom used to work at right and there's signs up now that have it uh you know michael myers mom used to work here but there's nobody inside the strip club and we are introduced to a stripper the owner of the strip club and then one of the guys helping and there's some funny dialogue that goes on here but the scene goes on way too long and again we're trying to show like maybe moral character of these characters by them spouting exactly what they're going to spout uh but honestly it's just going to be fodder for fucking michael to kill everybody so the owner sends one guy go out to go outside and get rid of some of the trash and of course outside he runs into michael he tries to threaten him even though he can see that he's kind of fearful on his face and when he goes to punch michael he breaks his hand and then michael ends up fucking killing him when he goes inside we see uh ghost mom on the stage that she used to work walking to him and telling michael exactly what they need we are done waiting. Only a river of blood can bring us back together. It's up to you. It's always been up to you, Michael. So he goes and, uh, I should say when he kills the other guy, there's a really cool effect of, <laughs> cool effect, but it looks good the way that, uh, he stomps the skull in of the guy outside. After he sees that with his mom, he interrupts the owner and the stripper fucking in the back room and then goes after them uh and basically he's kind of i guess maybe getting revenge for his mom at this point um you know because since she used to work there and uh again he's not if he's doing this because of his mom he's no longer an immoralistic killer right he doesn't just kill to kill he's killing with a purpose now and so his purpose here is he just needs to raise more kills. Like his kill streak is just not high enough right now. And until he kills 140 people, mom can't be brought back from the dead and respawned into the game or something along those lines. I just, I really don't know. And I wish I understood it better. So again, once he kills the owner, what do we get? We get the naked girl running down the hallway being killed. And luckily, we only get to see it once in this one. But it's still present and it's still prevalent. Uh, And again, she gets the worst out of it. I mean, I think the owner gets it pretty bad. But the fact that she's constantly having her face rammed into the wall by Michael over and over and over and over and over again until she's dead. And we even get the long pullout where you see her face and it's all bloody and she's like gasping for air. And then he does it one last time. Again, it's that weird violence uh, and, and torture uh on women for the the longer periods of time it's not that he's only killing women it again it's that he's killing women longer if that makes any sense at this point looks like he's trying to make the strip club his now new point of operations And, and but Even though he really doesn't make it his base of ops, he continues to move on towards the inner parts of the town. It's now daytime and it's now Halloween day and Loomis's book is being released. The three of them, Young Michael, Big Michael, and the Ghost Mom, all travel along and they run to a billboard about Loomis 
To which she explains that maybe he needs to die because he's profiting on their family issues and on what Michael has done. Which is a weird thing because I think most killers, if the book was written about them and they were still alive, that would give them that notoriety and the infamy uh, moving forward, even though somebody's kind of profiting. I can't understand that side, but wouldn't you be happy that there's a book about you and that everybody's going to read it uh, you know, for future generations because you're the top-notch killer? I mean, be kind of cool. Be like a badge, right? So uh, we go into Loomis's book signing and the release of his book uh, since it is now Halloween. And he runs into some crazy super fan. And then he runs into another fan that surprises him. Well, we always have one, don't we? <laughs> Hi, how are you? Ah. Oh. Do you want me to sign this? What? You don't recognize her? Um, why, should I? I'm not surprised. Huh? <clears throat> Take a really good look at her. Oh, she's beautiful. She was beautiful. This is my daughter. Uh-huh. Linda, your monster killed her. Whoa, 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 wait. No, yes. No. You butchered her. You have my deepest sympathy. Do I have your deepest I, sympathy, you truly, fucking pig? Truly, I'm sorry. sorry. You kill her. No, I didn't kill anyone. You kill her! Sir, all right, everyone. No. Just calm down. It's all right. You butchered it's my baby. Down. Back up! It's all right. You butchered my baby! Can we get somebody? I'm going to get you, Loomis, sir. I swear to... Get your hands hey, off me. Get your goddamn hands off me. It's all right, everyone. Just calm down. Calm down. All right, I'm fine. under control. You son of a Jesus. bitch! I'm gonna kill you, Lomas! Oh, I'm Jesus. gonna kill you, goddammit! Luckily, the gun wasn't loaded, so he couldn't actually kill Loomis. Or it jammed or something happened like that. Before this, I should also mention that the fact that the sheriff actually got the book, and he went through, and in the book, Loomis actually tells the story of how the sheriff hid the daughter from everybody and gave him to gave Lori to the Strouds. Of course, after this scene, we see Lori walking around and she notices the book inside a bookstore. She buys it, she reads it, and she finds out that she is the sister of Michael Myers. And that is very, very devastating to her. She goes back home, and when she goes back home, uh, she grabs her stuff and is starting to leave... Annie wonders really what's going on, and she confronts Annie. Tell me you did it. No, please. Tell me you did it. No, no. what? <laughs> Fuck it. I mean, Daddy's little princess knows all, right? What are you talking about? Hey, stop. <laughs> calm down. Look at me. What is going on? Let me just call my dad, okay? We could talk to him. You know what? I have a message for your dad. Tell him that Angel says fuck you. <laughs> Who is Angel? Lori. She runs away at this point, and she goes over to her other friends or co-workers' house, Harley and Maya, and tells them that she doesn't know exactly who she is. Now, this scene is annoying to me in different ways. I'm going to play the audio from the scene, because I think it's important to hear what's going on. But it gets interrupted by fucking nonsense bullshit, and it takes forever for it to go through. So instead of cutting it, you're going to see some of the, or at least hear, uh, some of the idiotic ways these scenes are put together. Like, she could have just said it, they could have just been like, whoa, and that would have been it. But instead, we have to have this bullshit about her dressing up like Dr. Frankenfurter in the middle of this fucking dialogue. What's that? 
Look, I, I just found something out that's gonna freaking me the fuck out. <laughs> okay, what is it? I went into this bookstore and I got this book and inside there's just a bunch of pictures. Check me out, man. Fucking sick, huh? I'm a chick dressing up as a dude who wants to be a chick. Shut up. <laughs> who died? <laughs> Shit, baby, did somebody really die? I'm not me. I'm not me. Do you understand what the fuck I'm saying? Not really. <laughs> Who are you then? I'm Angel Myers. Michael Myers' sister. They first don't believe her, but then she pulls out the book and she says, it's right in here. Here's all the stuff that I've got. And there's pictures and there's a picture of me directly in there. Harley ends up reading it and she's like, oh shit, I guess it really was you. And then from this part, we cut over to, well, she kind of freaks out and she decides that she wants to basically get out of there. But while this is going on, Dr. Loomis is on a TV show promoting his book uh hosted by chris hardwick who plays norman and somebody else that shouldn't be in this fucking movie our next guest gained infamy as a psychologist for america's leading serial killer leading serial killer i guess well, he's probably the most notorious leading he's <laughs> number one in this field anyway his new book is called the devil walks among us is available somewhere please welcome dr samuel loomis Hi, Dr. Loomis. Hi, dude. How are you? Being here. Nice to see you. Hi, everyone. Nice to see you all. Thank you. Thank you. Very nice to see you. Just weird. How are you? Great. Now, you've been criticized, and in some circles, I gotta say, outright accused of profiteering off the misery of others. I mean, how do you even respond to that criticism? Well, you know, I, I think that's completely unfounded. I, uh, I always get permission when I do the parody. No, I was talking to Prince. Oh, I'm, I'm sorry. Go ahead. No, 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 please. No, no, uh, no, it was fascinating, your answer. Your turn. You've got something. No, I'm done, I'm done. <clears throat> Actually, I take great issue with that statement. Mm. Besides, I might say that I've endured quite a lot of misery of my own in order to tell this story. Yeah, well, everyone feels real bad for you, except... <laughs> so, this is very big tangent. I understand why they're doing it. The canned laughter is not really needed, to be honest, but it's kind of a show the absurdity of the show and the what lengths he's going through to actually sell his story, right? He's going to go on this ridiculous late-night talk show, and fucking Weird Al is there. I love Weird Al. He does not need to be in this movie at all. I know him and Rob are friends, and he did it as a favor because he asked him to be a part of it, but... Why? And I know Chris Hardwick was in A House of a Thousand Corpses, so that's why he's in here, because he's making a cameo, because we've had tons of cameos, and there's probably been some in this movie that I haven't been talking about, because I don't necessarily recognize who they are, and I apologize. And actually, if you guys want to let me know, please let me know. Um, But this is one of the weirdest fucking cameos in the movie. Like I said, I can understand Chris Hardwick. I can't make sense of fucking weird al like what is he doing he's it is funny it's one of the better moments of the fucking film but it's not needed necessarily 
uh, he could have just, he's not needed. The talk show portion I can kind of get because this is where Loomis starts to realize that maybe he shouldn't be doing what he's doing, right? He shouldn't be trying to profit off these kids and he looked at how much an idiot and how much people are just kind of ridiculing him and they're doing these things that's fine cool whatever because hardwick plays that kind of asshole tv host pretty well for this part of the movie but weird al doesn't have to be there like at all so we cut away from this cut away from what's going on there and Lori talks about how she just wants to go get wasted tonight. She wants to go to this fucking Halloween jam, the Phantom Jam or whatever the fuck it's called downtown, to kind of forget everything and just fucking move on. So, of course, that's where they all go. And they're all dressed up as members of the Rocky Horror Picture Show. As I said, Harley is dressed up as Dr. Frankenfurter. Maya is dressed up as Columbia, while Lori is dressed up as Magenta. And if you don't know who those are, I would suggest watching the Rocky Horror Picture Show. But uh, Magenta is the maid-looking one, uh, the one with the gold top hat. That's Columbia. And then Dr. Frankenfurter is, of course, Tim Curry and the main villain, quote-unquote, villain of the film. So they go to this party. Uh, they start getting wasted. And this is where we get to see for the first time, well, the second time, but the first time in the flesh, Captain Clegg and the Nightmare cre- or Night Creatures. And I always want to call them the Nightmare Creatures or the Midnight Creatures, but it's Captain Clegg and the Night Creatures. And they're a band specifically created for this film. And actually, members of that band were used in The Devil's Rejects as a fictional band for that movie as well, where Rob Zombie actually released an album of music from them for that movie. And he did the same thing for this movie. And it's a one-off, and it's very fun. It's Psycho Billy. Um, but you have them playing and there's all these kind of crazy things that are going on within the Phantom Jam. Uh, there's a whole sequence where, uh, Harley, she takes some Michael Sarah sounding wannabe, uh, Wolfman guy to try to go have sex with him, but he's a fucking loser, I guess, and he shows her his van and he's so proud of his van. Oh yeah, fuck so many chicks in here. Well, why don't you fuck me? Oh, well, I fuck so many chicks in here. Seriously, come on. I want to have sex. You can put it in my butt if you want. Oh, but this van, I can't believe I have to do a... Seriously, I'm fucking telling you that I am willing to just fuck you. Let's get in the van and let us fuck. I'm not dealing with any of this other type of bullshit. Well, uh, I gotta go take a pee and get killed by Maka Myers. Is that Okay. I guess we we could have fucked before you went pee. It might have made you last longer. All right, I'm going to go pee. Bye. That that seriously is the whole interaction between these two characters. And he goes and gets killed by Michael Myers. Then Michael Myers comes and kills her. And uh, then when she's getting killed, Lori kind of gets that feeling that shit's going down. Like she's actually the one doing it instead. But she's kind of drunk sitting there at the party. At this point, too, we cut over back to Dr. Loomis, and he's watching more of himself inside a hotel room on that TV show. Thank you. Dr. Donald Faber is a noted abnormal psychologist. It's not noted. Uh, He says, nothing more than a bloody horror show showcasing Dr. Loomis' own 
self-inflated ego, and never-ending quest for fame and fortune. Damn! Damn. Your scrapbook. How you swallow that? Snap! You got snapped on by weirdo. That was pretty funny as well like it's good i like the the scenes but again do we really need to have weird al in these scenes though him saying snap is perfect to me back with laurie and maya she decides that she's drunk enough that she wants to go back home uh and going back home to go actually going back to the sheriff and annie's place uh in the meantime when she's going back michael myers has somehow showed back up at the home and decides that he really needs to see Annie one last time naked before he kills her, or at least sets everything up, and totally just brutalizes her. Uh, when Lori comes back home, everything seems to be okay. There's some stupid conversation in the kitchen. She goes upstairs, and when they go upstairs, because she kind of wants to apologize to Annie, she sees that everything's been thrown all over the place and that she finds annie in the bathroom and she's barely hanging on for life she tells maya to go downstairs and call 911, which she does but before she can finalize everything she's killed by michael myers actually relatively quickly with annie's last dying breaths she tells uh laurie to look out and watch out for basically michael to which he actually does show up and starts trying to fight with her and and grab her. She runs out of the house and manages to get over to somebody in the highway and pull him over and, like, get into the car. He helps her into one side. When he goes to the other side, Michael Myers comes, kills the poor guy by... I believe he shoves him into the grill of the car and then flips the car. Uh, it, it could have been something else, but my memory's a little foggy on that. But he does flip the car, ultimately taking Lori out of there. Now, one of the funny things that I kind of... There's just two funny things. One that shouldn't be funny, and one that's just funny in my mind, okay? And one has to do with Annie. Annie, she had to have been like William Hurt in Spaceballs. Where all of a sudden she opens the door, and it's Michael Myers right there in front of her. And she just got to go... Oh, God. Not again. And then she gets fucking beat the shit by Michael Myers. That's all I was thinking during that little portion of this film. Now, the other funny part, and it's more of a fucked up type of funny part to me, because the way the scene is acted, it is horrible. It's absolutely horrible. So, what I say is try not to laugh when you listen to how the sheriff discovers his daughter is now dead. Sheriff, you don't want to go in there. Let me handle this. Where is she? You don't want to go in there, Sheriff. laughing at it because it's supposed to be an emotional scene he just saw his daughter died and uh, you know i could totally make a smooth criminal joke here too but i'm not going to or maybe uh no no i'm I'm, uh, definitely above that uh but i don't know if rob is uh i just don't 
know why you would be okay with that type of take. It just, it sounds bad, and it looks even worse when you watch it. Like, I was laughing my ass off, and I shouldn't be laughing my ass off, because it's uh, supposed to be this, you know, heart-wrenching scene. After this heart-wrenching, laughable scene, the cops get a bulletin that says that Michael Myers is found in some type of shack down the road, and that's where he's taken Lori. They found, or somebody witnessed him, I should say, uh, carrying her body off into the distance, and they think they've located him. And then we get one of the weirdest scenes in the fucking movie, because all of a sudden, we're taken into the shack, and there's Michael, and young Michael is holding down Lori, and you can, she can see Ghost Mom. Uh, and she actually interacts with Ghost Mom. And she's never, she saw her once in the film. But this is the first time that she sees her constantly. Who are you? You know who I am, Angel. Now, repeat after me. I love you, Mommy. 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 Mommy, I love you. Please, please don't let me go. So all the cops come around the house and they realize they're going to have to somehow stop Michael Myers because they all have figured out, even though they haven't seen him, that he's back. So they all surround the location and then uh, Dr. Loomis, at one point, he actually saw the news report that this was going down. So he decided, hey, I'm going to go help uh, because I should be able to stop Michael Myers. And he shows up much to the sheriff's dismay. Sheriff! Oh. Oh, get up. Get up. There's an innocent girl in here I might have kept safe for your greedy fucking book. I want to shoot you. I want to shoot you so bad. I want to shoot him. Shoot him! I want to fucking shoot him! You son of a bitch! You don't deserve to live! Please, I just came here because I wanted to help. There is nothing that you have to say that I want to hear. Sheriff, please, you must trust me. Look, this is pointless. Michael's never going to respond to hostage negotiations. Get the fuck out of here. So... He's right in in terms of that, that the hostage situations are never going to stop uh, or do anything for, you know, Michael Myers. He's just going to fucking go out there and kill a bunch of people. So uh, it's weird to see him trying to be the voice of reason at this point and him trying to make up for the shit that he's done. But honestly, all he did was write a fucking book. And the worst thing that he did was uh, give the secret out that Lori is Angel Myers, right? 
outside of that, he's not the one that's killed anybody. He's not the one that's perpetuated. He tried to help Michael for the longest time, for 15 years, and he couldn't fucking do it because Michael doesn't have those characteristics of somebody that can be saved or that can be changed. That was the whole point in setting up a lot of the first thing. But it turns out, no, it's really because his mom's been telling him to do all these things this whole time. Um, So he says, no, you can't go in there, the sheriff. Uh, Loomis says, oh, I've got to try. Okay, no, I won't. And then he totally bolts past everybody. And they, I don't know how he gets past all those fucking cops. Like, they turn their back for a second, and he's already about to enter the goddamn place. And he runs, and he sees in Lori in there, and he sees Michael kind of holding her, and it tells him that he needs to stop. So you see Lori there and she looks like she's being held by somebody. You you see Mama Ghost or Ghost Mom and you see Big Michael and Little Michael and her. But when Loomis looks at everything, he sees Michael, apparently, and then he sees her and she's just writhing on the ground. Now, there are two endings to this film. And I happen to see the uh, director's cut ending. The original ending, which I had to go on to YouTube and watch, uh, has her, as the sheriff, shoot... uh, Well, first, in both endings, Dr. Loomis is killed. Secondly, uh, the sheriff kills Michael and he falls on some spikes. And that's how he dies. Uh, In that ending, Lori walks out of the shed and she's wearing Michael Myers' mask. And of course, in both endings too, there's no mask on Michael and he looks like a fucking dirty hobo. Uh, So he's the tall hobo killer. Uh, And then when uh, she comes out, she is uh, gonna go stab... Well, she stabs Michael repeatedly and then she's shot and everything kind of goes the same way from that point on. It except for at least one of the versions that I saw on YouTube, and I can't really tell if this is an actual thing or somebody did this to it, but there's like voiceovers on top of it as it's going down a white hallway. Uh, You look at her face, it turns, there's her mom and the fucking white horse again. Fucking bullshit. Uh, And she has this, starts to have this grin, and it's like a psychiatric ward. So she technically doesn't die, but now she's changed into basically like Michael Myers, right? Or it kind of gives you the thought that she's the one that's done it in this film whereas in the past film it really was michael and here she was the representation of it now when we look at the ending that i saw that one you have uh michael myers bust out through the uh the wooden paneling again destroying more fucking wood in these movies uh and then Dr. Loomis talks to him, tries to stop him, and then Michael stabs him with a knife. 
Michael then is shot by every single cop in the area and falls down dead. Uh, then you see ghost mom and Lori and they kind of look at each other. She goes out and grabs the knife. So we don't know if Loomis is actually dead in this version, but he's been stabbed and she goes, she grabs the knife and she stands above his body and then she doesn't do anything, but somebody takes a shot and then she gets shot a couple of times and she falls down. Then instead of having the voiceovers, we get the long hallway and we get the end title music and we get the similar type of ending. And that ends Halloween 2. What else can I really say about this film other than Rob Zombie fucked himself? I mean, here's the thing, is that when I look at these two films back to back, it it ruins the first film almost entirely because he tries to reconstruct some things in this film uh, that he didn't lay the groundwork in the first film. The first film was a very good representation of Halloween. It almost, like like I said in the ending of the last review, it really had a lot of the similar scenes in it, but it had some extra backstory on Michael Myers. Now, all that backstory that he did for the first film, fucking thrown out the window for this one. Yeah, he still was in the asylum. Yeah, he did, did a couple little things here and there. You know, the same shit that went on and his you know, they knew what happened, but now he's fucking driven by his connection to his dead mom. Like that's your fucking reasoning for him to do everything in this film and possibly in the last one to get Laurie back and to have Laurie become a Meyer again and not just be Laurie Strode, this kind of annoying bubbly girl. But here you see her like degrade into this I know she said the actress said that she was told to do it kind of like a bipolar type of acting you know where she's switching around one moment she's on one moment she's off but it could have just been the psyche breaking down for the traumatic experience that she was in a year ago but instead he tries to link it back to that the everybody in the Meyer clan has this propensity to turn out like this so both at least Michael and her have this ability because their mom has that influence on them and that's fucking horseshit okay in general this movie is just terrible okay on the gore factor it gets a four out of five there's some really kind of stomach turning things and they did a good job with uh especially like crushing the head and a couple of stabs and stuff 
uh, in that factory with the budget that they had, okay? Fun factor, it's a 2 out of 5 because there's so much just bad fucking acting dialogue scenes that don't need to be in the fucking movie could have shortened it by an hour and maybe because i was watching an unrated director's cut of it it's longer and they didn't necessarily be in there i prefer this ending to the original ending because the original one kind of says oh well laurie did it but everybody has dealt with fucking michael like laurie killed annie right maybe that's the thing but he went on a fucking killing spree for most of the fucking movie and at the last minute you're gonna say oh it was Lori. she's wearing the mask or somehow you know she's okay with it because now she she's been with her brother and then here instead what we've got with the the secondary ending is that she's just coming to accept what she's got and i i just don't know it's still shitty so the crap factor on this is a five out of five it it's just crappy from the dialogue choices to the scene choices to the fact that we've got 15 fucking minutes of to 20 minutes of that hospital scene which has no purpose in the entire fucking movie being that fucking long and lots of stupid scenes that could have just been cut out of this movie entirely and we wouldn't have to worry about it so there are some good that scene is good and there are some decently done scenes cohesively the movie is awful uh but individual parts can be very good so i give this actually a two out of five hobo killers uh it it, i wish it could have been better because this i think for a lot of people turned them off of rob zombie as a horror director uh i've seen other films of his and we are going to at one point i want to do a house of a thousand corpses at some later episode that episode that movie will be done and he's got really good ideas and he's got really good uh you know takes on how these shots should work and what we need to do but his dialogue sometimes is just like i said so filled with mouth diarrhea that you don't need it or you don't need these guys to be so disgustingly creepy i i don't understand why we have to have those pieces of dialogue or even in some cases those scenes so thank you guys for listening to this episode Uh, for the next episode we're gonna look at a cult classic late. I'm sorry we had a small mishap. Here are the keys. Um, here are ours. Have a nice stay in Milbar. You and our city. Still telling the same story, Josh? Powers of evil are very strong here. I must leave. And remember,
That's right, we're going to be looking at Troll 2. This film was actually suggested by Bud's Beer and Brutality. Uh, they are at 3B Horrorpod on Twitter, and you can also check out their website, 3bhorrorpod.com. Uh, they wanted to get my opinion on this film or whether or not it deserves the cult status that it gets. And I'm willing to take the challenge and uh, watch it again. Uh, there is a great documentary on this film, and I think this documentary is probably one of the reasons why a lot more people saw it. It's called Best Worst Movie Ever. Uh, and uh, I would definitely check that out. But if you've never seen Troll 2 before, uh, you are in for a goddamn treat. Um, I have my feelings about the film, but we'll talk about them uh, at as the podcast goes on. So that one will be in two weeks. We're going to go back to our original formatting. Thank you for experiencing this October. And this has been a fun and also trying time. I'm not going to lie about that. Uh, so you can always follow the podcast on Twitter at T underscore T underscore podcast. If you have any suggestions for movies to review, terrible terror podcast at gmail.com. Check out the Facebook page, terrible terror podcast. Uh, so it's facebook.com slash terrible terror podcast. And, uh, you know, you can just let me know if there's anything that you'd like to see, anything that you'd like to, uh, you know, have us, uh, interact with. Uh, so I appreciate everything. Thank you for listening. I hope you enjoyed the Halloween episode of the show and we will talk to you in two weeks when we go through troll two. Bye-bye.